Welcome to the Know Your Gear live podcast number 255. Ibanez Prestige Boy says, Phil, my kid turned on my Mark uh, 535 combo amp. I didn't realize it and accidentally, and it was accidentally left on all night, not on standby. So it's just running idling all night or running, with right, not on standby. Seemed fine the next day, but is there anything I should keep an eye on or check? Well, I have some good news for you. You know who else left your amp on overnight? Mesa Boogie. So uh, that is the standard procedure for tons of companies, uh, most all of them, to be honest with you, but definitely Mesa Boogie for sure, which is, they call it a burn-in. In In other words, once the amp's been assembled, tested, the tubes are in, and they give it a sound test to make sure it works fine, they do what's called a burn-in. You may have seen it. If you look on the line, you'll find them. Lots of pictures where rows and rows of amps, whether it's, you know, uh, Mesa Boogie or Friedman, and they're literally, what they're calling is burning them, and they turn them on and leave them on for about 24 hours. Uh, to to burn in the tubes and make sure if anything's going to blow or go wrong, it already did. So, uh, like Joe Harvey said, a stress test, absolutely cr- correct. Just they just call it a burn in though, but it is a stress test. And um, so, in other words, you'll be fine. <laughs> um, what happens is if the amp was going to cook out or do something, uh, hopefully they would have caught it right then. But also, it's a quality built amplifier. It's, it's let's just say it's you know. It's going to take a beating, and the only downfall of all of that in any way is obviously running the tubes for 24 hours takes 24 hours of the life usage out of those tubes. But let's let's let me explain something. That doesn't mean a big deal. I mean, this, this those tubes could still last 20 years, 10 years. I mean, that's the part about tubes. They're they can last a long time, or they can they can go bad. Mesa Boogie uses their own tubes, quality stuff. I wouldn't worry about anything at all, uh, in that, in my opinion. So there you go. Okay. Uh, the next question I knew was going to come up. I already see two, three, four people have already asked it. And, of course, it was sent to me all week, which was there was a subject this week uh, from the channel Casino Guitars that uh, they they did a video. And the video was um, about uh, boycotting Harley Benton. But that's not the subject. I think that was the focus. Hold on a second. Um, and that's not the thing I want to focus on in this question, okay? So let me go to the question because there was definitely one that I saw poked out the most. And I thought I had it. <laughs> Here it is. Okay, it, says from, it came from Edgar. It says, hey, Phil, thank you for the birthday shout-out last Friday. Uh, made my day. Opinion about the Casino Guitars video about Harley Benton guitar copies and, uh, and, um, okay. And then he goes on about something else. We're going to stay on that. And of course I saw a lot of you guys commenting on them about this video. Um, so the thing I want to talk about that's kind of interesting, at least is first, I want to say, I kind of still appreciate any channel that has their own opinion and talks about stuff the way they feel they, they, uh, want to, right? It's their, it's their opinion. And, you know, you have an opinion, you have to unfortunately suffer the consequences when people don't like it, and you get to have the success when people agree with you. And so I champion anyone who is out there giving true opinions because, let's face it, you get no love for telling it like it is, even if that like it is only is your your truth, your, your, your feeling. And I'm not, again, not judging the, the video yet. I want to talk about a couple of things that are in the video that might help some of the comments and emails you guys sent. And I'm going to do it out of order because this is the order I want to do it. The first thing that um, – and, and if you guys haven't seen the video, you can go watch it. Essentially what they're saying is that uh, Harley Benton copied the new Taylor – or not the new Taylor T5, but the Taylor T5. And they kind of feel like 
that's the last straw for the Harley Benton copycatting and that they can't support Harley Benton anymore. And I think some people took it literally and maybe it is literally just a Harley Benton thing. <laughs> I didn't understand the boycott. My logic is this old saying, you vote with your wallet. So if they don't buy Harley Benton before and they're not buying Harley Benton now, I don't know what the other than maybe just to tell you guys maybe that they're not buying, buying Harley Benton. And, uh, but here's what's cool. <laughs> Max, Max, uh, so Max, actually, you said something perfect. Charlie Benton. Uh, China Benton. I'm sorry. That's some of the things we have to talk about because there was interesting things about Harley Benton that maybe you guys don't know and I can clear up for you. Because uh, I've been to Tolman uh, in Germany. I've seen the facilities. I've seen how they run things. And as you guys know, I've proudly stated this. Uh, through your guys' request, I reviewed three Harley Bentons. That's it. And I, like I said, I'll never review another one again. And I can say that so proudly because there's no way they would ever send me one again anyway. <laughs> but uh, on top of the fact I said that, but uh, which is I did one cabinet, which is supposed to be an amp, but I didn't have the amp. So I did the cabinet. I did one acoustic and one electric. And so that's it. I covered the – I to do what I always do, I just kind of fairly cover everybody's stuff, and that way there's a reference of it. But back to the important part. First thing that's really important we need to clear up, a lot of people were talking about, and they're probably confused, was, you know – Hey, if you're going to boycott Harley Benton but support the Silver Sky, you know, Silver Sky's copy of the Strat. Um, and again, I'm not here to argue their, their thought process. I just want you guys to know this information I can help you with. First of all, something to understand about Fender Strats and Tellys is they're public domain. So I had dinner with the attorney who won this case, by the way. Uh, so that's why I have these uh, court documents. I'm sure you can find them as well, too, but he sent them to me a long time ago. What you're looking at here is the actual uh, information in 2009 when he won the case. And as you can see here there on the right, you can see the decision, which was uh, essentially uh, Fender was trying to cease and desist and stop companies uh, from making Fender body shapes, uh, being the P-Bass, the Telecaster, and the Stratocaster. Maybe the Jazz Bass in there, but let's just focus on the three I know of. And essentially, they won that case. Not Fender. They did. Uh, Ron did. And uh, so those are public domain. So anybody – so Fender can't defend the Strat-Telly uh, case anymore. So in other words, there's nothing they can do about that. Everybody makes a Telly and a Strat because they absolutely can. That's irrelevant to the next piece I'm going to tell you though, which is as an industry, it's kind of – I don't want to say we, we decided as an industry, but the general kind of consensus of the industry is, industry is headstocks are intellectual, intellectual property. This is important. This is why, if you remember, when Gibson sued Paul Reed Smith over the single cut design, which I have one right behind me. Sorry, I'm pointing to a PRS single cut. Um, they uh, sued PRS and they lost that lawsuit as well, uh, it, it, just like Fender did. And the reason is, is that the reality is simple. The industry as a whole is really comfortable with the idea that the headstock of a guitar is an intellectual property. And here's why. And it's not just the sole reason, but this is the one I think illustrates the point very well. You sometimes, because we're electric, you know, guitar channel, talking about electric guitars a lot. A lot of you guys are electric guitar players, predominantly over acoustic players. Acoustic players really don't have these kind of silly arguments because you guys walk in a store and you go, oh, everybody's caught up in the Strat and the Telly. I'm like, well, go into an acoustic store. Every acoustic is a dreadnought for the most part. It's the number one selling design of acoustic. Martin invented the dreadnought. They designed that. 
So the the parlor guitar, the dreadnought. So you understand, like, think about that when you go and you look at uh, all of the acoustics that look the same. How if it wasn't a headstock that we were enforcing as a as a as a essentially the trademark, how essentially you could shut Martin probably could just shut down every acoustic company for the dreadnought. And this is important. And here's why it's important to talk about. Okay. It's important to talk about because kind of like how Ford invented the pickup truck, you you physically, you know, people need pickup trucks. So they they need want pickup trucks, depending on who, what, what, what the situation is. They need them or want them. Could you imagine if there was no pickup trucks but one company? So same with acoustic guitars. We have to make it to where all the acoustic guitars are the same shapes because that's essentially the consumer has decided that's what they want. And talk about a fight you don't want to fight. So what I mean by that is... Uh, with the Harley Davidson guys, they're no different, in my opinion, than all the other guys that make copies of stuff. They generally are doing the two things that I am uh, very, I find very important. First of all, keeping true to the intellectual property concept of the headstocks are different, and of course, using their own branding so that there's no confusion with the consumer that they're somehow buying something else, which is very important because that is really the big difference between a fake and a recreation or whatever you want to call it, like you know, inspired by. The other thing that's important is we need companies to copy guitars. And although it's kind of like, uh, you know, look, I'm going to go weird with you guys right now, but I need to kind of make the, 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 the argument. Just like pornography is an artistic form that's important, and, and I'm talking about the United States. Every country is going to have different laws. But in the United States, uh, pornography, is, pornography is protected under artis, artis, being artistic. Okay, It's an artistic form. Artistic forms are protected whether, you, whether you're pro or against that, it doesn't matter. It's protected. The same thing comes to this kind of world where, yes, is it sad a little that a company copies another company's hard work and R&D, makes an affordable copy of it, and puts it out there? Yes. But there is a reason why they're generally protected in a lot of things they do because we also want to see somebody do the opposite, take a design and improve it. Imagine a world... Because look, like think how bad Gibson and Fender are now. Imagine a world where no one could make anything like them, and they're already the dominant force in the market. Let's be very clear about this. I want to be very clear when it comes to numbers. When you look at Gibson and Fender, they are a huge, massive, massive chunk of our guitar, electric guitar market, without the fact that they can't stop anybody. <laughs> okay? Could you imagine if they could stop everybody, every store you would walk into would have to be just those two brands and all the sub-brands they would create off those brands. So it is important that we do acknowledge that, you know, there is a way to be a little bit of a variance of this. Interesting thing about that T5, though, is I believe the T5 is actually kind of a copy. If I was going to claim a copy, I would say it's a copy of either the Golden A6 or the Gibson Chet Atkins model. It's kind of like vibe like that. They're not the first one to come up with a thin body, you know, where they take a body and they router it out and they put a, you know, a, a spruce top or whatever on top of it. So again, I, but I understand, and this is why I want to be very clear. I understand where they were coming from in their video, okay? And the part is, and this is important for, for me to talk about because it's the same, I'm protecting them the same way I would protect myself, which is, when you make a statement on the internet, sometimes you don't hear the counter argument until your video is out. And when you hear somebody, you know, focusing on maybe that wasn't the thing they wanted you to focus on. Maybe they just wanted to focus on doesn't it suck that, you know, companies that they like get copied, you know, and essentially, you know, somehow it gets it hurts them financially. Um, 
uh, maybe that was their point. I'm not sure. But I want to be very clear on the things I just cleared up, which is the, the, the ruling on the fender bodies, the way the industry works when it comes to copies and things of that nature, um, and the realization that, and I've said this before, the Harley Benton guitars are extremely successful because they are good quality and they are dirt cheap. And that's why they're successful at the market. The other thing is, a lot of people talked about the secondary thing, the made in China part. You have to understand, the majority of Harley Bentons are made in Indonesia. The majority, vast majority. And, and the ones that aren't made in Indonesia from Harley Benton that are made in China, like their acoustics, that's where everybody's is made. There's, there's almost no acoustics. Percentage-wise, uh, when we talk about acoustics and acoustic-like guitars, we talked about this with the Paul Reed Smith guitars. The Paul Reed Smith SE guitars are now made in Indonesia, but the semi-hollow, or not semi-hollow, the hollow-body PRS SEs and the acoustics are made in China because that's where that stuff is made. And when I, mean, when I say that's where stuff is made, I mean it's where it's all made. As soon as you're hollow, a, a hollow guitar or an acoustic guitar, it's going to be, I can't tell you for sure a percentage, but I feel safe if I say 75% of them are going to be coming from China in the affordable market. That's where they come from. If you guys don't like that for whatever reason, there's a ton of reasons why you guys have opinions out there. I'm not here to argue that and tell you that that's what you have to understand. That's how the market works with those type of products. And I've already explained this. It's because Indonesia, what Indonesia does that's really interesting and unique over Japan and China is Indonesia is really, uh, when the companies went to Indonesia and started building factories there, they really were in the modern age of electric guitar building. So a lot of CNC machines, a lot of technology. When you see Indonesian factories, very heavy on the technology aspect of building guitars. The Japanese factories, which are very old school and kind of luthier-like, and the Chinese factories, which are very heavy on labor because they have a lot of labor uh, at their disposal, are very labor-intensive, hands-on. Which is, you've seen a video, you can watch the video of the uh, fact that all, all Epiphones are made in China now, and they make them pretty much the same way they make them in the United States, which is very hand-on, labor-intensive. That's why they go there, because not only is it cheaper to do it that way, it's also, they have the bodies to throw at it. It's, uh, everybody knows, I don't care what country you're in, everybody is at a war right now with machines doing their job. I don't care if it's a, you work in a factory. I don't care if you work in an office or if you're a customer service agent or whatever you're doing. There's a machine, robot, app, some piece of technology that's after your job right now to some degree. Okay, And so there's countries that are heavier on the labor side than they are on the technology side. And that's why the instruments are made that way. And I want to be very clear again, <laughs> I'm not... I'm not justifying or explaining anything other than just giving you the information. You make the decisions about what you want to do. I'm not here to sell you anything or tell you anything other than the information. You can do with it how you want. But that's what was interesting about the video. And I think that video is good. And here's why it's ultimately good uh, for the community. It starts a conversation. These are the conversations. It's a nice conversation to have. Look, it's it's all about everything. We Ultimately, what you want is... Uh, better quality instruments, better treatment to people. We want a better world for everybody. I don't know who out there is like, I just can't wait till somebody gets screwed over and everything goes to crap. There's a, generally speaking, I think everybody wants a better world for their families, themselves, and other families. And I think, I think that's what I feel like the community wants, right? Um, there you go. I don't know. Uh, any thoughts on that? Let's see. Semantic says, hey, Phil, what percentage of your guitars are Chinese? Um, probably none. Like, I don't, I don't physically, I don't think I have any 
me personally, you know, I mean, obviously companies have sent them for reviews and I've probably purchased them for reviews to do a review for because that's what people are interested in. But you got to understand, and I've, I've talked about this before, I, uh, when I started my channel, remember, I owned a store. So uh, at that point in my collection, of my personal collection, I had refined it from years of, co- you know, collecting up. Like I said, I didn't, I didn't start out with like the Silver Spoon guitar, like, aha, I have a, you know, American PRS or a Gibson. I didn't have any of this stuff. Like everybody, I start off with the off-brands. You know, I started, I told you guys my first guitar was a JB player and I worked really hard to finally get that first Aria Pro. That was a big deal. Like Ibanez was the unobtainable brand for me. Um, uh, uh, Ibanez is something I got when I turned 18 and it was a graduation present. It was like a big deal. Like it was a big deal. And, uh, and that was, and, and Ibanez is re- relatively super expensive at the time, but it, in my world where I grew up, they were the expensive guitars. Uh, Fenders and Gibsons were just dream guitars. You didn't even, you didn't even go to the stores that carried those. Um, and so my point is, is that by the time I have a YouTube channel, which is probably why people watch it sometimes is that I have a lot of experience with guitars, working on them and stuff. Uh, all my personal guitars are in the higher echelons of guitars other than the ones higher mean cost wise. Okay. So, but I have no opinion, personal opinion against any particular type of guitar. I really feel like, uh, nothing is more. And I, like I said, I'm an American. Okay. I, I, I am. And, uh, and I know there's different philosophies in, out there, but here's mine. I believe there's nothing better than a true, uh, true capitalist fair market. And in other words, if you want better, you know, as a business, I think if anyone's ever owned a business, you understand this, what I'm saying. The, to the winner goes the spoils. And I don't want, you know, I don't want a world where there's no jobs in my country. That's not what I want. But I also want my people in my country and my country to work hard to keep the things they have. And I think you should too. And so the reality is there has to be price points. There has to be markets. Plus what people really don't understand about inexpensive guitars, which is why we talked about expensive and inexpensive guitars is inexpensive, inexpensive guitars, put guitars in the hands of players and start the ball rolling. Uh, I've pointed this out to many high, high end guitar companies that seem to somehow forget this. They don't sell a high end guitar until you sell a cheap guitar. I mean, I understand. Like I said, I understand people starting their guitar journey in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. They've already had a good job. Life is good for them. I understand because, you know, we all knew kids in school that were rich. I understand there's rich kids and their first guitar is this $2,000 guitar. I understand all that stuff. Okay. I, I have not experienced that to be the norm. That is definitely the exception. The norm is everybody buys the... I want to say the most expensive guitar they can afford, and that is usually a cheap guitar. So that starts it right there. Okay, that's where you go, and uh, and that's and, and then from then you you kind of go up the chain of guitars. Sometimes, sometimes people are just really smart and fix up their their cheap guitars. Uh, a la Eddie Van Halen, just go ahead and take the guitar you have and make it better. So again, it's just a conversation. I'm sure. I'm sure I'll lose 50 subscribers. Every time I talk about anything like this, it seems like you lose a ton of subscribers. And uh, I always feel like they come back, though, a couple weeks later after they calm down. Because I see the uptick a couple weeks later. <laughs> but um, but it's a, it's a fun thing to talk about. I think it's a, it's a cool thing that we have a, a nice industry that's that we have access to so many things. In other words, so many interesting high-end guitars, so many interesting affordable guitars. And I really feel like, and I, as somebody who's reviewing this stuff on the channel, I, I gotta, I gotta tell you guys, I really feel like these, uh, lower price guitars that kick ass, they really light a fire 
underneath some of the higher end guitar companies where they get complacent because, you know, they're just sometimes the higher end guitar companies, all they think about is their their backlogs. Like their only thought in their head is they don't need to improve their guitars because it already takes forever for you to get one and you're got to be on the waiting list. And when they see somebody making something really, really good uh, <laughs> for a lot cheaper, uh, it's it's a really interesting thing. The um, hold on, uh, and I'm going to jump around a little bit if you guys don't mind. Um, what what is this? Uh, I was trying to find stuff that's just on this subject that we can jump around. Yeah, competition. Uh, Ellen says competition is the best for innovation. I feel that way too, as well. And uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> this is a sign on has like a million letters and names. Says uh, they're just saying that I've come out of the capitalist closet. Well, again, I'm an I I own a business. I've owned a business. Like I said, I've been self employed for 17 years. So it's it's. It's look. Everybody who owns a small to mid-sized business is pounded by the big business. It's just how it doesn't matter what industry you're in, and you want to feel like your hard work, your eagerness to do more, pays a dividend. You know what I mean? And uh, that's why I said I like the idea that everybody's got to try hard to get the to get your money. Like I said, it's your hard and mo- hard earned money. Everyone should be trying their absolute hardest to get it from you, especially on things we don't need. We don't need guitars. <laughs> We just want them because, uh, I don't know, I'm addicted to this stuff. So, I don't know. I understand, I guess, how druggies feel. I just want guitars. Play them. Oh, Paul. a uh, Great. Uh, Paul Fuchs. I think it's Fuchs. <laughs> Anyways, Paul Fuchs says, does it make a difference if a guitar company owns the factory? I personally think uh, in, in, in dealing with the companies uh, that not only does that, make a difference. But there's levels of the difference that I see. First of all, I think, let's start with the easiest thing before we get to their own factory and outsourcing and all that stuff. The thing that matters the absolute most is that there's someone who started the company still involved with the company. That matters the absolute most. I see it more than anything. It's like you can, you can, you can see somebody's vision. You can see the employees of a company see the original uh, person's vision and try to execute on that, and, and they care. I've seen that, you know, employees that really care. But nothing in my experience is different than when the owner of the company is involved within the company. Um, and and you can immediately see the difference of what happens to the company as the owner kind of lets go, uh, let's go, let's go of the reins, let's let's go <laughs> let's goes of the reins <laughs> um so to speak uh and you see it real fast how that changes and uh, here's why and this is where i really believe this i think ego helps in 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 a lot of things i think sometimes when the the person who's either making the product or running the company that they started the employees making the product and they're they're on top of it it's like their ego to be the best is the best thing for you the consumer their desire to be like, no, <laughs> right? Um, there are so many times I, I, I've i seen with companies where you talk to them and you can tell the difference right away from a company who's family-owned or the owner's still involved. 
and the way they discuss things. And they say things, and they don't realize what they're saying to you when you talk to them. Because like I said, you guys see me. I've interviewed a lot of these guys, talked to a lot of them over the years. And what I notice in their, in their uh, way that they kind of come across, it's very interesting. They talk about their bad decisions and why those matter. And I, what, what I mean by that is like this. Like somebody will say, oh, we make our nut material for the guitar out of this, even though we can get it from Graftech for half the price. It's just this is the way we want to do it. And you can tell they're, they're, they're here to explain, to justify to me, the person interviewing, why this decision of quality over price is the smart decision for them. They want to justify essentially what I'm calling a bad decision. I'm not saying it's a bad decision, but in their mind, you can tell they're trying to justify that to you. When you talk to a company that's really more corporatized, like it's just really disconnected, there's a lot of like, we get the price down by doing this, and we found that the consumer will pay for $4.99 but not $5.49. So this is how we do that. And you can see the vibe of the company changes real fast. Now, this doesn't mean the guitars are bad because, I mean, obviously, penny pinching has its pluses and minuses, although it sucks in most cases. In some cases, it improves the guitars because they are able to – uh, you know, for instance, well, let's say they figure out they can sell 10 times as many guitar at a certain price point. Well, they can improve the quality of that guitar because they're going to do volume and make it up the end. So there's, there's good points to both. But back to Paul's question, which is, does it matter if the company owns a factory? Absolutely, absolutely matters. It matters if they not only are there working with their employees, it matters then next if they own that factory. And then if they outsourcing, if they built or they're part of that factory, right? Um, and you see a massive difference in that. And uh, and keep in mind, and keep in mind, you got to understand, like, I don't even think, I don't know, I don't even think companies like Harley Benton really design a lot of those copy guitars. I think they, they probably do some, but I think the majority of them, other than probably the ones when Aggie Fish worked with them and stuff, or Henning worked with them, whatever, whoever was working with them at the time, I'm sure a lot of those guitars, they... They are sourcing like that company, the factory that that, uh, that Toman's uh, working with was already making that product for another brand. And then Toman's like, well, we can buy twice as many as that brand. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we can then we can force the price point down. So. We'll be right back. But you still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your, in your little, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We all, we all artists over here, man. I'm trying, all right? Oh, yeah. I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying, oh, yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. 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 Damn, yeah. Me and my man, like me and my man Kai, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right now. With this I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I don't lie. play with it. Play with it. No. Take that shit serious. Yeah, uh, you guys are talking about the original owner still owns Orange. There is. There is interesting things uh, when the original owner still owns the company. You can see it. I see it every time. I know that when I deal with companies for reviews. It is a massively different experience, massive for me personally. When I deal with the person that's the owner of a company, they hang on every word I say in the review. And if I say anything that's not just negative, but anything like, um, 
I'll, I'll tell you, I had a company, I think I told you guys a story, but I had a company uh, uh, that I made a comment in the video that they sent the guitar to me and the guitar was very good. And I just casually said with no malice intent to it, that if you buy a guitar and you don't have this personal experience, put that in the comments down below and maybe use this video to send to the company and saying, Hey, you know, I saw a video reviewer and he said it was amazing. And this is not, you know, what he said. And that was just me it was, it was recognizing the fact that some of you are probably going to think, hey, man, this is a stacked deck. Obviously, they sent this guy a guitar. What, and he's saying it's perfect. Did they send him a special guitar? Very valid argument. Very valid thought. The owner of that company wasn't mad by any means. Not even, not even a little mad. He was hurt. I, I mean, I really hurt his feelings. We had to get on a call. And, and, and it, I feel horrible as he explained to me, like, I just want you to know I would never do that to somebody. I would never make a substandard guitar for them and then send out a better, you know, to a reviewer. He's like, he's like, you know, I want you to, you know, he goes, I, what can I do? You know what I mean? How can I prove this to you that I care? And so like I said, and the reason I tell you that is for every one of those interactions where I, I become friends with them and we interact and we, we see, we have passion for what each other does. I have companies that reach out like they're just checking boxes as a marketing person. And they're like, uh, well, I told you guys for every time, <laughs> it's funny for every time I th I'm going to just tell you this, this is, the, this will cheer me up because I get it off my chest. A little therapy for me for a minute. Every time you guys tell me like, oh, I think that company sent you a good one. It's, it's like I said, there's always a possibility of that, but you, you'd be surprised how many companies send you emails months, weeks after you get the product and your video has 150,000 views and they go, hey, did you ever get a chance to do that video? <laughs> and you're like, yes, I did. <laughs> and you send them the link. And you're just in – every time it's embarrassing for me. It's like, man, I understand you don't want to watch it because, you know, you probably sent 20 out to 20 channels and who wants to watch 20 videos on a guitar that, you know, I guess – uh, besides us. <laughs> but you couldn't even Google search it to see that I did it. Um, so – so there you, uh, I don't know, like I said, so like I said, there's two sides to this. And so uh, Paul, great question about, I, I, I really do believe there's a big difference. The more the company's invested in their products emotionally, not just financially, I've had a totally different experience as a customer and as a reviewer. So, um, so hopefully that covers that subject. Like I said, I thought it was an interesting video. Um, uh, obviously, uh, you know, it kicks the bee's nest kind of thing. And hold on a second. Some of you guys are talking about some stuff. I just want to, again, anything we're on the subject before we jump subjects, because I got other subjects already. I see. Um, Something else you guys are talking about. A lot of guys talk, a lot of you will talk about manufacturer origin. Um, I, I don't know if I've ever explained this. Uh, I always tell everybody what the manufacturer origin is, unless, of course, in the videos where I say I can't find it. And I always do that. G give me some slack, please. <laughs> I'm going to say within the first 60 seconds of the video, um, if it's 10 seconds, if it's, an, uh, you know, 75 seconds, please don't go, oh, you said 60 seconds. I've always done that. I've always, when I did the hollow body PRS SEs, uh, I, the first thing I talked about was where it's made. Here's why. I know some of you just don't buy from certain countries and you have all kinds of reasons for this. And again, I'm not here to judge you, tell you you're wrong. I have my own 
I have my own things. Um, my my thought process has always been to give you the information that I can give you touching the instrument. Like I said, um, China Guitar Skeptic, uh, uh, Mike said this once to me personally. He said, we are the surrogate for the viewer. And uh, if you don't know his channel, please check it out. It's just an amazing human being uh, on every level. And, um, and, uh, and I thought that was the most eloquently place uh, said thing I've ever heard when it comes to what a channel on YouTube on a free form channel like this can do uh, is exactly that. Look, you can be smarter than me. You can know more than me. You can be funnier than me. You can do all this stuff. That's great. I'm not here to argue that, but I am touching it and I am looking at it and you're not, and you're on the other side of the world or on the other side of the city. And at the very least, I'm here just to convey what you can't do, which is touch it. So if you guys notice, I don't really ever talk about what I see. Like I don't go, hey, the color's red and this color's blue. I don't talk about that stuff in very, very rarely in videos. I talk about like, this feels sticky. This feels hard. This feels soft. This feels scratchy. I try to talk about all the things that, that you can't see because obviously you could just go and look at pictures or videos anywhere. It's all, it's all what we can convey in the tangible side of it. And the other thing is I take them apart because again, not always can, you know, can't always take things apart. Um, and, uh, like recently when I did the Yamaha, I took it apart. That was, that was two weeks, by the way, I like, <laughs> I'm going to give myself a little accolade. That was two weeks of diagnosing. And Lawrence Petros, by the way, helped my, helped me so much because I come up with like a theory or two theories of what I thought it was doing. I I was running them by him. And then he was like, ah, I don't know if it's that it might be this. And I'm like, okay. And so, you know, the Yamaha guys were really cool. Yamaha Line 6 guys. I actually emailed them and said, hey, what is this doing in this guitar, this transformer? And they said, we'll find out and tell you. But they weren't getting back to me, and I didn't know if they were ever going to. So I just said, screw it. Let's figure it out. So I figured it out. That was my, uh, after talking to Lawrence, after crunching it for a couple days, testing it, I decided, okay, that's what it is. And then Lawrence uh, basically agreed, which, you know, like I said, he's one of the smartest guys in the industry I know. And uh, I was like, all right, all right. So we're on the same page for the most part. I execute the video. And then, so you know, within an hour or maybe two hours after the video was made, uh, Yamaha did get to me. They sent me an email. And they said, just so you know, uh, you're right. That's what it's doing. And a little fun little thing that they said I thought was cool was... Uh, the transformer, the thing I didn't know, which I'm telling you guys now, that transformer in the Yamaha guitar was built and designed by Yamaha for that guitar. So that's not only, that's not only, that's their exclusive part. They make it. So they physically made it and they explained, uh, what it does in that email, which is, I was like 90% there. <laughs> if you guys want, I'll post the, the response they sent, which is, uh, I sent it to Dan at Guns and Guitars because he was like, he sent me a thing saying, hey, thanks for kind of going through that. And I sent him, I go, this is what they officially said it is, which, well, like I said, I was 90% there with Lawrence's help. And um, and the reason I did that is because I knew you guys couldn't see that. You know what I mean? And and so there you go. And that brings me to another question, which was, uh, I saw, hold on, I've seen it. This one from Hugh. Hugh said, hey, Phil, my first question is, why did you release the RevStar review this week? From what I can tell, the guitars are not available yet. So uh, Hugh uh, is uh, talking about the fact that like with the Sire guitars, a lot of times I'll hold guitar videos back because I don't want to review them uh, because there's none available for you guys. So it's just essentially it's like 
you know, wetting the palate, you know, hey, here's something you can't have. Um, Hugh, unfortunately, and I, I, because I, I don't get anything from this, okay, so I'm not, I'm not, it's not, it, it doesn't do me any good, but I'm just telling you, when I released that video, they were in stock. In fact, I can tell you, Lawrence Petros bought one. I don't know if he'll let me tell you which color. If he wants to put in the comments which one he bought, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I was listening to Ben Combs. Ben Coombs, sorry, Ben. I was listening to Ben Coombs show, and uh, Lawrence even talked about it there too. And then Ben gave him the same suggestion I gave him for the color. Uh, I was kind of they were you guys were in the background talking while I was working, and I my ear perked up when I heard him when he's like, "What color should I get?" And Ben said the color, and I was like, "That's the color I told him to get." And um, so what I'm trying to say, Hugh, is they did have some in stock. Uh, uh, Lawrence bought his from Guitar Center. I, I can tell you right now, you guys, they were some in stock at Sweetwater because Sweetwater does, I have affiliates at Sweetwater. I don't have it to Guitar Center because um, I don't activate those. And uh, and I don't get anything. Uh, if you guys click at Sweetwater and you buy, you know, you buy, order something and it's out of stock, it doesn't show me because it doesn't really go through. So I saw some sell. So that means they were in stock. So Hugh, they were in stock. They probably didn't have a lot of stock. And now they're out of stock. And I'd like to say I take credit for that, of course. But first, I don't get anything for that. I mean, like I said, I got a link or two from Sweetwater, but I don't get it for any other resi- other residual sales or anything. But also, it, you know, there's probably 50 YouTube videos on this guitar, so let's not don't give me any more credit than maybe the two percent that I helped uh, get going. Um, so, ah, <laughs> Ben put the answer. So, so then I know the answer. Uh, Lav says, hey, Phil. He didn't say, hey, Phil. He just said, <laughs> he said, but I'm saying, hey, Phil. Hey, Phil, do big retailers pay less for shipping? Do they have deals with shipping companies? Margins after getting used guitars shipped and returned paid? Okay, hold on. The second part. Okay, let me, let me, let me just do the first part. Yes, they obviously do they absolutely get deals with shipping companies. Um, I'm a small business and I have a, uh, I have a business account with FedEx and, um, and UPS. We, I like UPS, just me personally, just no reason for it. I like UPS better than FedEx. My experience, personal experience has been because a lot of the UPS drivers own their own routes and trucks. I, I find they are a little better handling on the guitars. That's probably in my head too. Again, like I said, I kind of try to support, you know, I'm sure if you're, whatever you do in your, your life as a living, you try to support people that do what you do in your living, right? Uh, what you, and cause I, you know, I have a business. I think about people who are business oriented cause it's kind of like, think of it like a commission world. You're always thinking about, you know, every day is make your paycheck cause it doesn't exist until you make it kind of world. Um, but that being said, I have accounts with both and, uh, I'm not, I'm not shipping a whole lot. I mean, I, I ship a good amount and I get a, you know, 20% less than I think what everybody else is paying. Um, I'd have to clarify and ask the the wife what the deal is. I would imagine. Why well, I, I don't know, have to imagine. Yeah, the bigger companies would get bigger deals. I can tell you, companies like Tolman, they're so big. They they work out deals with DHL where it's flat rate. So whether they ship a 412 cabinet or they ship a guitar, they get to pay the same rate. The keep in mind though, I have to keep saying this, which sucks. A lot of that stuff, like I just told you, what I just told you is absolutely true. Pre-COVID, so as post-COVID, I have no idea. So if if you go, oh well, now with Tolman it's this deal. I I don't know what's happened since COVID, but pre-COVID, I know for a fact. Uh, like I said, when I went to Tolman, I interviewed as many of the people there as possible to learn about their business. I was very interested. I spent I spent every day talking to somebody in that company about some aspect of Tolman because it's it. 
those in Europe right now, Tolman makes a lot of sense to you. In the United States, there is everybody thinks Sweetwater is Tolman, but it's Sweetwater is like almost Tolman. <laughs> Tolman is just crazy huge. It's just huge. It's a, it's a different level of crazy music store. Um, yeah, Richard's saying uh, large box businesses get 50 to 90% off printed FedEx and UPS rates. I, I, I wouldn't disbelieve that at all. Like I said, I get 20 and I'm, you know, I just have a business account. I've had the same business account. Uh, I think actually, I think my business account, we set it up through the NAM show uh, back in 2004. I think the NAM show had a deal where they would help you negotiate that or they had some kind of deal. And then I think they stopped, but we had the deal already. So we were just, we still use it. Oh, so Elmore's saying it's the opposite. UPS drivers don't own their routes. It's the FedEx guys. That's right. I have it backwards. And that's why I use FedEx. And I just, I feel horrible. I told you, Elmore, I should have pre, pre should have said that, um, should have said that, the the truth, which is like I said, my wife does all of that. I don't do any shipping whatsoever at all in any means possible. I haven't physically shipped anything in probably five years minimum. I can feel free to say about that. So um uh so it's FedEx that I'm sure she she does the most and it's for that reason too. And now I remember now that you're saying that FedEx drivers on the routes, that would make sense because what I remember was the FedEx drivers' trucks, they would break down because they had to pay it out of their own pocket to fix them. I remember that because I remember sometimes our FedEx driver's truck would break down and he'd have to have another driver loan him a truck and stuff like that. I apologize for getting that backwards, but thank you for catching that. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go to another, another subject. What do we have? This has come from Ryan, Ryan Andrew. Ryan used to take lessons at the shop, man. I, I, it's got to be the same Ryan. I mean, that's uh, – so, hey, Ryan, if that's you for sure. Hey. He says, uh, where would you like to see more innovation when it comes to the guitar? Or do you like where things are at, at overall at the moment? Thank you and love the show. Um, well, I'll do it out of order if you don't mind, instead of saying, uh, where I'd like things to go innovation wise, what do I think about things currently? I think that we're doing really well. I mean, think about this. We're one of the few, uh, uh, products, especially guitars, one of the few products where we've improved serviceability. Uh, you know, the, the spindle style truss rods, you know, some of the new guitars, the new bridges require you less to go to a tech or service center to get service. I mean, you know, think about that in cars and technology and everything else. Uh, it's the opposite. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to go to the, you got to go to those service centers and that's a big deal. You know, I, the bicycle world kind of deals with this, you know, yeah, bicycles. Now you can buy them at Walmart for hundred bucks, but you know, going to have a heart attack. You go to a bike shop and get some kind of service on it. They're going to start you probably at a hundred bucks for most of the services. I'm just guessing and generalized, but it's expensive. And uh, in fact, I know this story to be somewhat true. Here's how I, why I'm mentioning bicycles. I remember talking to an owner of a bicycle shop here in town and we were discussing uh, uh, what happened was I broke a spoke and, uh, and I brought in the bike and he chose, he charged me for the spoke and it was two spokes, I think. And it was like, I don't know, two bucks a piece. And then it was a service price. So it was like $14. It was really inexpensive. I made a comment because not being you know, educated in his environment. I said, oh, $14. And when he said the bill, I said, that seems pretty reasonable. And then he, he I don't know why he chose to share this with me. He's like, yeah, we used to do it for free. 
I don't know why. He was the owner, by the way. Uh, so I'm not, this isn't like a disgruntled employee. This is the owner. And I said, oh, interesting. And then I said, that's funny you should say that. I go, is it, why is that? And he said, well, it's because everybody like you, in that particular instance, you know, where you bring in bikes from, that you got for the, from the stores, you know, the Targets and the, the Walmarts and the, uh, you know, Dick's Sporting Goods and all that stuff. And then, you know, we just, we used to sell more bikes, so we would service our bikes for free and then just do it for other bikes outside of our bikes. But now our service department is becoming like the biggest, uh, you know, opportunity for making money. And I said, oh, it's interesting enough. This is obviously a few years back. I said, I own a store in town. This is where my store is. And I told him, he's like, oh, yeah, I know you. It was funny. He's like, I know your store. I've been in there. I said, oh, cool. And I said, funny was when I opened my store, we used to do string restrings for free. You could bring in a guitar and we would have, you could buy any pack of strings. We restring your guitar for free. And then we'd also have bulk strings that you could buy for $2.30. So you could buy a set of, we'd buy them in bulk in tubes. And so $2.30, you buy a set of strings and we restring your guitar. And the idea was to get people to come and bring their guitars for service and then they would buy stuff. And I said, but yes, over slowly over the years, like a decade later, uh, we were charging $20, $25 to restring. And then again, like him, the service side of the business became more profitable than the selling side of the business. Um, And the reason I tell you that story is because exactly what Ryan's asking, um, Service industries are becoming huge. Look at Sears. Sears basically shutting stores down so they can just service your appliances. They don't want to sell you good appliances that last anymore. They want to fix your crappy appliances. I know this personally because I've spent $700 at Sears warranty or for repairs on a refrigerator um, because I refused to. Uh, when I bought this house, the owner <laughs> concluded the refrigerator, and they paid like $2,400 for this refrigerator. That was only two years old, barely two years old, and it crapped out on us. We had to pay $500 a fix, and then we had to pay $200 to have it fixed again, and I refused to get rid of this refrigerator because I'm still from a mindset where refrigerators last. Well, I used to say, I like to say 10 years, but I'm from a mindset where refrigerators never die. You keep a refrigerator until it looks like it's from the 70s, (laughs) and then you sell it (laughs) in the paper, and then you buy a new one. I've never seen one go bad, and and uh, this one went bad. So same thing. I like the fact that our industry is trying to improve the guitars to the point where you don't need the service uh, to, to to rely on service. Uh, so uh, Ryan, that's the main thing. I, I like the idea that all of the those tasks can be done by the end user. The other, th- but where would I like it to see it go? I like I said, I'd like it to see continue that way. I'd like it to see it. <laughs> Josh says, was it a Samsung? Here's what's funny, Josh. Why I'm laughing is it's not a Samsung, but my wife mentioned to him. Okay, so since I told you that story, I told you that story to tell you this story. Our old refrigerator was a Samsung. We had it for one year right past the warranty, and the motor went out. They told us the motor was 600 bucks. We paid $1,200 for the fridge. My wife said, oh, my God, it's half the fridge. It didn't even make it a year. <laughs> They're like, well, it did make a year. It was 14 months, you know, because it was past the warranty. And uh, so we were like, oh, the crap. We're never buying a Samsung again. So I, ironically, we bought a new house. We, well, not new, but you new to us. We bought a new house, and the owner included the refrigerator. What's funny is it was a really nice refrigerator, obviously, $2,400. Um, I think it's GE. I think. It's, it's a Sears brand, whatever Sears brand is. Okay, so I guess GE. And it crapped out. My wife said, I don't understand what's going on. I, she, I remember her talking in the kitchen. I was standing off to the side, and she says, I don't know what's going on. We were, you know, we're excited that they had a GE because she's like, we had a Samsung. It was gr- garbage. And then the tech, the Sears tech, opens up his parts that he's, you know, that he's installing, and he, they all say Samsung, and he goes, it's all Samsung parts in here. <laughs> 
I'm like, oh, and we were like, this sucks ass. So, Ryan, yeah, that's a weirder story than probably you wanted, but uh, the answer to the question is, uh, I like I like where the guitars are going. I'd like them to continue on that way. I'd like to see a truss rod that you have no, you don't need no experience to adjust. Uh, intonation, you can watch a five minute video and learn how to do it. Um, I think you know it's. Why not? And this day, there's no reason because we see it done by guitars. We can see that guitars can be adjusted, set up. Um, and uh, <laughs> Matt says that's the reason I didn't buy a front load dryer. I I uh, I'll never let, let uh, I'll never live this down. Uh, I didn't I wasn't paying attention. It happens. Uh, I bought my wife fr- front load washer and dryer on on a whim. <laughs> I don't know why I did it without her. Um, but I did it. Here's what happened. There was no, it was all coincidence. I swear. I promise. I bought this front loaded washer and dryer because she had mentioned she'd been thinking about wanting some and I was just happened to be at the best buy and I'm like, I'm going to do it. This is years ago. And so I buy it and, um, they happened to deliver it on Valentine's day. So my wife is like, Oh, did I, is this my Valentine's day gift? And then I not thinking, cause that's what I do a lot. I said, <laughs> Instead of saying no, what's just coincidence, I thought, well, why not just say yeah, right? <laughs> right? Because it's like like bonus. This is bonus gift, right? And I go, oh, yeah. And then my wife told all her friends and family, she's like, yeah, you got me a washer and dryer for Valentine's Day. And uh, she didn't say it very nice. She said it kind of like that. Like, I, I could tell, like, this is, I was not doing the right de- thing. But to answer the, your, your comment that's more important is, that's not the story she tells now. The story she tells now is like, she's like, Phil once bought me a washer and dryer on Valentine's Day. And they didn't last because they were junk. Because <laughs> they leaked. They were The front loaders were, the Samsung front loaders were leaking. We're really in a weird conversation with this. Which is why I'm never going to review appliances. Um, so, uh, and so uh, to answer the uh, so that somebody's comment is, uh, yes, we no longer have front loaders. Now we have uh, cheaper top load ones. Like, I mean, literally, uh, she's like, I'll never buy those expensive ones again. Uh, but we got to get to a new guitar subject. This one's an easy one. Let me go with an easy one. Zumzu says, Phil, do you use any sort of speaker switcher for your heads and cabs? So he's talking about when I have the rack of heads and cabs, which is to my left, uh, do I use any switchers? I have a switcher system for that. Uh, I do not use it at all. Um, the, uh, heads and cabs are in that rack, uh, for no other reason than, like I said, physically I'm in a tiny room. This is a tiny little office room that I have that I have this little corner to make the video for you guys. I have a little desk right here that I get to do podcasts on. And I have in in the closet, which is a sliding closet, I removed the doors and I put the rack in there so I could put amps there again, just to fit this stuff in this tiny room, which is why it looks like a crap tone of stuff because it is, but it's also in a tiny room. So it looks like, well, how far do these walls go? And they're done. When you, when you, what you don't see, there is none. So other than a couple, you know, a couple of things here and there. Um, so the rack isn't about me being able to switch different amps and do different things. I don't think like that. I literally, uh, I play an amp until I'm not inspired or I'm not enjoying it, which happens sometimes, you know, you're just playing it and it's just not, you know, not maybe not that f- music right now or not feeling it. And then I switch to something else. So I'm always like, I'm always in love with one of the amps and I'm never playing the other ones. Um, By the way, if we're going to give away cool prizes for jokes, which we're not, James Murphy, you would win with white painted fridges sound better and keep things colder. 
<laughs> and if you guys get that joke that he said, you guys watch way too much of this show, and thank, thank you for that. Um, we have, we have uh, another one. Hold on. I know I got some more to get to, but I want to get to this one as well. Um, I, I penned another one. Where was it at? <laughs> Maybe I didn't. Oh, this is it. Adrian. Adrian Robinson says, hey, Phil, are you the only channel <laughs> not to review the boss Waza headphones? What's your opinion on them? I've never tried them. Uh, I've never had a relationship with boss to the company. Um, I went to, as you guys know, I, when those events were happening, like, you know, Henning would have events and they would have events. I would go to them and check them out. So I've been to every, well, I don't say every event, but I've every, I've been to every event once. They're not my cup of tea. Although I love the people that I get to meet there, um, traveling, you know, 24 hours, you know what I mean? They're cra- it's a crash course. You, you know, you travel for 24 hours. Um, I mean, straight, no exaggeration. And then you hit the ground running. As soon as you land, you're basically, because the time changes, as soon as you land, you're making content and, and interacting and you're just exhausted. And you do that for a few days and then you go back. Um, the people are amazing. Like I said, everybody I've met have have been the most amazing experiences. Those were them. And of course, seeing some of these things in action. But if you guys notice, I've never been to any event twice. It's because once I did it, I kind of like, okay, I've experienced it. And now I, I kind of like everything on the channel. I go, I, I feel like I can relay some of that information to you like what's it about you know what i mean i hear people talk about them but i'm like i've been to them so i know what they're about i don't have to hear you know what people think they're about or not about um but what i will tell you is uh to answer your question about the boss was thing uh the other thing that happened at those events for me was there was companies there like boss but those companies were the european divisions of companies so every time i would talk to them like boss i go oh yeah hey i'm a huge boss fanatic you ever want to say anything on the channel? And they're like, oh, yeah, we were boss Europe. <laughs> I go, oh, okay. They go, we don't work with the Americans. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, do you have anybody that does work with the Americans? And they go, no. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's the other thing you learn about the European comp, uh, distribution side. They, all, the, uh, all those companies, that's why a lot of those uh, channels get a lot of gear. There's, there's uh, distribution. So a lot of the, even though these companies like Boss obviously is, an, is a Japanese company, but a lot of companies in the U.S., they ship to Europe and then the European distributor does everything. That's who's working with those channels. And then here, when you talk to those companies directly, they're like, why would we work? We don't work with YouTubers. And you're like, yeah, you do over there. And they go, that's the distribution company. That's not us. So... So that was a so my that's my long answer to you, Adrian. I Adrian, I've never worked with Boss. I've never sent any product out. That's why I've never seen those kind of videos on the channel. Every Boss video, which I probably have about ten of them, I bought the products and just did the videos myself, uh, which is what I do when companies you know I don't have a relationship with them. Uh, and the Waza headphones are not something I would buy for myself personally. I don't use headphones. And if I did a video, it would be for you guys. And like I said, either a company has to send them out, or I have to hear it so much from you guys that I know to buy it for the channel and you're the really the first person to, to say that so uh okay let's let's get some other stuff going some other questions james says hey phil i'm making a parts guitar the way is that the way to go it seems like it makes more sense uh to just get what you want absolutely look the the parts guitar deal is really simple you just know you don't get resale value but keep in mind you always take it back down to parts and you can get more for it on parts not everything's about what you can get back resale but we talk about this a lot on the channel which is why guitar players as a whole focus on resale value 
is not because they anticipate selling the gear right away. <laughs> it's because they realize how many times they said, I'm never going to sell this, and they sold it. Because, again, it's all emotional, and your emotions change. You change as a musician. You change, you know, all kinds of things change. Your ear changes. It gets better. It gets worse. Things happen. And so uh, you know when you can recoup most of your money, you can turn that back into other things for you to do, and that's one of the perks of, of this doing this, playing music. And so parts guitars tend to not pull back the money you put into them, but you can absolutely, if you look at it from the perspective of getting something custom-made for yourself at a fraction of the price of custom-made, uh, I'd say do it. Uh, John Own 10 can't play any. <laughs> I get it now. You know I've said that name before and I never realized. He's saying he owns 10, I think he's saying he owns 10 guitars and he can't play any of them. Hey, Phil, getting frustrated trying to learn guitar. <laughs> Songs on guitar. Is learning songs on the bass guitar any easier? I get a lot of joke answers uh, and feel and few real answers. Okay, so the answer to your question, nine out of ten times is absolutely yes. Learning a song on the bass, being a bass player, is way easier than being a guitar player. I say nine out of ten, like, here's an example. Playing what Flea plays, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, not to take away from the guitar player with Chili Peppers who's playing a lot of stuff. I mean, there's going to be a few cases, a few kinds of music, a few bands where the bass player is really going to town, so that wouldn't be the easiest part to learn in the song. But if you take the majority of music... Uh, especially top 40, the bass lines are going to be way easier uh, in the concept of how intricate the moving parts are. In other words, moving your finger to the frets, uh, positioning chords, all that stuff. The part that makes bass hard is uh, you, rhythm. <laughs> you gotta get, you got to have some rhythm. Uh, guitar players can get away with very little amounts of that um, because it's a melody kind of bass instrument, but Bass is more like drums and rhythm is important. So, um, but don't get, don't, don't feel bad. There's tons of bass players without rhythm that happens. Um, but I'm just saying that's something I would focus on if you're going to do that. But yeah, I would, I would do it. Um, I would, if you're having trouble with guitar, switching to bass. I mean, you know how many probably people are watching right now that have played bass for bands because it was every band needed a bass player. And if you can play guitar, you can pretty much play bass in most bands, just pick it up and go. So there you go. Yeah, uh, Pastry says bass shines in jazz, and that's basically where I was going with that. Yeah, I, I play walking bass. Yeah, of course. Like, I exactly. I would be like, yeah, there's certain, like I said, certain genres, certain styles of music that I'd be like, yeah, I'm not going to say the bass is easier. But you can get away with, like, anything top 40, you're the bass player is going to be the easiest thing. Um, Jovial Panda 2022 says, hey, Phil, I just got a Squire CV Strat, and the Maple fretboard has a small chip about two millimeters in diameter. How can I fix that at home or get uh, get a luthier? Uh, so basically, can you and should you get a luthier? Um, I think that f that neck has finish on it. And if, I, if you see, I have a video on how to basically steam out dents in wood, which you can very, do very easily. It gets a little trickier if there's a finish in there. Um, so first of all, if there's no finish on the guitar, just watch the video, how to fix a dent in wood. It's pretty straightforward. You can use your iron that you press close and a cloth and some water. It's a very old trick. It's hard to mess up. I say hard, not impossible. Hard to mess up. Um, and uh, But if it has a finish, then where it gets tricky is uh, if I if you give it to me and I was doing that, I would steam it out still, and then I would fill it with something to fill the finish. If it was small enough, if it was too big, I would take it to a different shop that does refinish work. In your case, I don't think it's going to be that big because you said small chip. So... Uh, but no, you, I mean, could you do it yourself? Absolutely. You could do it yourself with steaming out the dent and super glue. 
<laughs> and a little bit of like, you know, um, uh, 3M uh, white scotch bright pad or maybe even like I said, steel wool or any of the micro mesh. I mean, polish it out. Uh, it can be done. You know what I mean? Uh, I think the main question to the the guitarist, you got to understand, and Jovial Panda, this is a really important thing. Uh, if you haven't experienced this with a, a guitar tech before, when they say they give you two prices, I've 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 been notorious for doing this many years ago, uh, where you come in for a pair like that and you'll get two price quotes, and it's like one is aesthetic and one is non aesthetic, and that's the best way I have it to put it, which is, uh, I'll fix it, you'll see the fix, but it will play fine, or I'll fix it and you won't be able to figure out where it was fixed. And here are the two prices at. And most times, if you're playing, you know, a three, four hundred dollar Squire, you're not going to pay me four or five hundred dollars to fix it to where you don't see it. You're going to pay the hundred dollars to to. Get. So what I'm saying is, if you don't care, you know what I mean. The issue is just how it feels. You could fix it yourself. I mean, very easily. It's just, you know, it's hiding it is is where the skill is really going to come from, for sure, because uh, that's a different skill set, and it usually just is experience. Uh. Thurston Thurston says, hey, Phil, ordered second time a new Gibson SG-61. I have one of those. Having static cling issues. No, I say static clicking sound when touching metal parts. No problem in the chain. Should I send it back to the shop or is there a way to fix it? There's a couple things you can do to fix it. First, let's start with the easiest way, which is you can use uh, some kind of static cling spray uh, or a static cling uh, those sheets, static sheets, but try to find ones without any kind of uh, cakey uh, fragrance on them because that just gets everywhere. It's like waxy. It's just a mess. And you can just usually try to rub that on the finish and the parts and, and inside the cavity and try to get the static charge to disperse. That's basically what's happened is the, the it's it's got a static charge and you got to disperse it. Um, if that doesn't work, which that will work like, I don't know, eight out of 10 times. If it doesn't work, sometimes you got to take all the componentry out like literally take all the pots out, the switch, everything, wipe that all down, put it back in. Like I said, because you got to understand somewhere in there, there's a static charge and you got to disperse it. And, and that's the easiest way to do it is, like I said, I don't use the static sheets, the dryer sheets, but I use the static dry, the, the static spray on a cloth. That's just because it's easier for me. And I don't have to worry about the, you know, like I said, all the cakey uh, um, uh, fragrances. But, um, but that's what you can do. If that doesn't work, sometimes you have to replace components to because again, you you've got to find out where that charge is stuck, where it's sticking. And sometimes it happens because you're just rubbing on the pick guard or the person who built your guitar. There's also a lot of dry static air in the factory sometimes. I mean, it's just it gets on there. That's the stuff I would recommend. All of those are pretty straightforward. I would do all those before you send it back, because those are pretty straightforward to do. They don't cost you a whole lot. And you might get another one. Uh, and to also keep in mind that sometimes it's seasonal. And it'll go away when, uh, as it warms up outside. You know what I mean? You're not running the, your hair, your your house is not as dry. Because you you could have been the static charge. You could have walked across your carpet and shot that star static charge right onto the guitar. So that's how I would, uh, that's how I would do it. So. Uh... Leon says he's got a quick question. Phil, do you remember how the SLO 30 cleaned up uh, in the crunch and overdrive channel with the guitar volume and single coils? Yeah, it cleans up pretty good. Uh, the thing I would tell you, if, if you're thinking about getting uh, an SLO 30, because I still have one, it's right over there. Um, 
and you're going to use the gain channel. Now, again, if you're using the clean channel boosted, I mean, what you're looking for, I, based on your question, you're going to get it. But if you're trying to use the dirty channel to do that, you know, and kind of use the amp to clean up, I will tell you, it will do a great job. The one thing about that amp is not much different than the 100 watt head in the idea that it needs to be turned up just a little bit if you're going to try to get the amp, you know, like, in other words, you want to turn the, your volume down on your guitar or whatever and use a single coil and clean up a little bit and turn the volume or the gain on the amp down a little bit and get it clean up. It will, but you want to turn the amp up a little bit. You can't run it quiet and, and do that. So if that's what you're going to do, I would think about having a good attenuator so you can drive the amp a little harder. You can get away with it both ways, but in my experience, that would really bring that to life, what you're trying to do. Vim69 says, hey, Phil, enjoyed the RevStar video. Will it stay or replace something, or is it for someone else? Um, I think it's going to stay. I really like it. It's a unique uh, guitar, and uh, I, I'm kind of lucky right now I don't have to replace something else. In other words, I don't have to get rid of something to keep it because I just got rid of about six guitars. <laughs> so, uh, in fact, I was funny. I, I don't know if I'll... I might do, I don't think I'll do a video, but I'll share it with you guys in a week or two when I get it. Uh, I, this week was my first piece of gear. It was a guitar. I bought a guitar this week. Uh, it was my first piece of gear I bought so far this year. I know it's the only end of March. It's not like a big brag, <laughs> but uh, this is the first piece of gear I bought from myself personally, um, is, is this week, but also on the Revstar. Uh, it's really cool. They sent it out and, uh, they said I could keep it. So I'm going to keep it cause it's really cool. It's a really cool guitar. Steve Miller, thank you so much, man, for the super chat. That was really nice. He sent a $25 super chat, which is which is a lot. Uh, Grumpy Mike Guitar. Uh, by the way, I got a shirt from you this week, Grumpy Mike. I saw it. <laughs> I saw it because I opened the bag. I opened the bag. It was yesterday. So I put it downstairs for my wife to put it through the laundry. Says uh, He says, now I'm going to have to get a Revstar, and it's all your fault. Yeah, I... I <laughs> It's a cool guitar. I was really impressed. Uh, somebody, uh, no one's asked this question, but I wanted to say it. Uh, uh, somebody was kind of hinting at like, you know, for seven ninety nine, how much cooler is it than like the, the Silver Sky and stuff? And I have to say, it's, they're different animals and they're totally, I would not, com you know, it's like comparing two different genres of a movie and saying which one was better movie. But what I can tell you is that is the de definitely the, the, Re the uh, Rev Star is definitely the best $7.99 guitar I've played in years. Um, it was crazy. I mean, it's just a really good guitar for the price. There's a lot of, a lot of quality there. Curtis says, uh, your opinion on replacing speakers in a 412 cabinet, 8-ohm or 16-ohm speakers? I'm leaning uh, to greenbacks at this point. I, I'm a vintage 30 guy, so I use vintage 30s in everything. Uh, I do have a 112 cabinet with a greenback in it. And like I said, I, I tend to have a couple speakers here and there to try out for doing stuff. But I just kind of learned over years that the vintage 30s do what I want. And... Um, I have a 412. It has vintage 30s. They sound great. <laughs> I run at 16 ohms. And uh, I, have, I have had that exact same cabinet have greenbacks in it and a crisscross of vintage 30s and greenbacks. And I like them very much. But ultimately for me, it was vintage 30s. But um, that's just my ear. That's not a, anything other than quality. It's not a quality preference or anything like that. It's just my ear likes those speakers when it comes to how I work with my amps. Uh why not Maple? That's the name of the sign-on. Says, Phil just bought a Marshall Origin 50 head and a 212 vertical cabinet. Tell me how awesome or bad it is. I just got home, and uh, I'm setting it up now. I think it's great. I mean, it's a great pedal platform. It's a good sounding amp. Look, the Origin stuff is probably the best of the Marshall 
uh, money for the money. It's really good. It punches above its weight for what it's giving you quality for their prices. Mostly because if you remember when it came out, they were more expensive not than they are now because they've kind of raised back up again. But when they came out, they didn't sell very well. So Marshall had to kind of drop the prices on them. And they didn't sell very well because you got to understand, like, there's a lot of Marshall purists out there that love Marshall a certain way. You know what I mean? Don't mess with my Marshall. Like, I like 800s. I like the 900. I like the Plexi. You know what I mean? That's what I like. I don't like your new weird Marshall <laughs> that I don't know what it is. You know, and when, so when Marshall makes something like The Origin, which is kind of like a Plexi kind of vibe kind of thing, they're like, but it's not saying that. I think that's why Marshall made the studio series. I think it's Fender's experiences, everybody's experiences. Like, there's just players that, like, I want, like I said, I want my Marshall the way I want it. I want... Uh, you know, I want a 25-watt Plexi. I don't want a 25-watt thing that sounds like a Plexi. I want it to say Plexi, whether it is one or not, I guess. Uh, so I think they're really good amps for the price point, for sure. Uh, and like I said, they really take... I like the way they take pedals. They take pedals the way Marshalls take pedals. So that's what's great, which means if you like that, then good. If not, like you don't like that, I can't imagine it's going to get much better if you get a different Marshall amp because they kind of, like I said, when you plug pedals in them, they do the same thing that Marshalls do. All Marshalls do. Fuzz Off says, ordered a JJ Jr. combo based off your review with the runt. With the runt? Going to try it with my Red Dirt. Oh, I love the Red Dirt pedal. You mentioned it works great with your DS. Uh, Thank you so much. Great amps. I I would say, I think I've told you guys this. The JJ Jr., I got rid of it. And I did the gear math. I went, like upgraded to a, you know the more expensive one. And I can't say the one the the small box had the bigger amps. You know better. It's good. There's things that are, you know, like I don't know. <laughs> I was gonna say there's things that are better. Not really. JJ Jr. was just a fantastic amp. Of all the Freedmans, I think as you guys know, I'm a huge Dirty Shirley fan of the Freedmans. I think of all the Freedmans, I think the JJ Jr. Which by the way, the JJ Jr. is the runt. So it has the same clean channel. It's the same everything. It's the same runt. It's the runt. It's just they gave it more gain. So that's why I like it more. It's just because it can do what the runt does, and it can do more gain. That's And I think it looks a little cooler. So that's the main thing. I actually got asked that question from Robert. He's one of the owners of Friedman. He said, I have a question. He goes, you don't really seem like a huge Jerry Contrell fan. He goes, but, you know, why do you like the J.J. Jr. over the runt? You know, and I said, well, I am, you know, uh, an Allison Chains fan, but... But I said, uh, I like it because it does what the runt does, but it does more. And he's like, okay. And then he said, he goes, because it's, it's like a hot seller. It's outselling. I think he said it outsells the runt, which confused them because it's more money. And they just didn't anticipate it selling so well. But it's great. Uh, Greg Sachs says, what would your best guess as to how many guitars are produced for a run like, uh, oh, uh, the... The Meteoras, whatever that Fender one, I have no idea what they're up to now in that facility. Um, that's what sucks about this whole COVID thing. <laughs> that's what sucks about it. It's one of the things that suck about it is that a lot of the things I've seen and done at a lot of these factories, it's now it's pre-pandemic. You know what I mean? It's like so I don't know what they've adjusted. I don't know if they're doing way more volume, way less volume. It's very hard to figure this out. They all say things that are very you know, confusing. <laughs> They're doing more volume, but they can't get stuff. Think about it. It's constantly these companies like, we're making more stuff than we were made before, but we can't get any stuff to make it. Well, like, you know what I mean? So it gets a little confusing. But my guess is, I mean, thousands. I mean, it's obviously it's Fender. It's thousands. They made a lot. Knowing Fender, they probably made more than they probably needed to because they like to do that. The, you know, 
as a as a fender dealer for years, what I learned for that stuff was, like I said, be the first to have it. You'll sell it. If you're the last to get it, you're going to sit on it because they they always the fenders really smart at figuring out how many people will buy and how many they can get dealers to buy. And I feel like they've always found a way to make that number work for them, which is, you know, we know there's let's say there's 10,000 customers. Well, we're going to make 15,000, which means dealers are going to be stuck with 5,000 <laughs> and they'll have to figure out how to get rid of them. I kind of feel mean saying that, but I also feel like I'd be lying if I didn't say that. So it's just it's, it's the truth of it. Tom says, I have a silent practice pedal board using a, I don't know what that is, kibasis, kibasis, coated headphones, some kind of thing. I don't know. Anyways, any of your system uh, or overkill to lose the cord? Any other options? Uh, I tried the Katana amp headphones, but again, I hate to do this to you, Tom, but I don't use headphones. Um, I've talked about headphones. I've, I've tried, you know, cause talking to you guys and telling you guys I don't do it. I've, I've like, I've worked with headphones in a couple of videos and try to like use them again, but I find myself never just, you, I, I will just play with no amp before I do headphones. I don't know what it is. It's not like I have a thing of, I don't like them on my ears or anything like that. I just don't want to use them. So Michael says, cheers on losing subscribers. Time for a Four Peaks keg. <laughs> four Peaks. I mean, this is the important one. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the sub game, right? They lose them. You get them. It's kind of fun. It's, uh, it's, it's all right, man. You know what it is, man? I, I always feel the same way, which is I'm just happy some people want to hang out on a Friday and talk guitars. Uh, I, 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 my friends are, I've, I actually resolved. I won't do, I haven't talked about this in months to my, all my friends. I talk to you weekly, if not daily, they were so sick of hearing me say, I think this is the last week of the show. I think no one's going to show up. And I, I would say that for years. And, uh, and I, uh, and I think at first they were like, Oh, that's just Philly's just being, you know, humble or nice or whatever, or whatever they thought I was doing. And then slowly you could tell they were just like, I think he's trying to go. I think he's milking us for like the. No, Phil, people will show up this Friday. And so I stopped talking about it. But so I'm just telling you, so you guys know forever, I thought this is going to end by like every week. I was like, this will be the last week. Rosilda says, any advice on cutting my own pick guard? I only have access to hand tools. Thank you. I've got pick guards with hand tools. Um, it's, 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 I mean, obviously the material is not very hard. You can cut right through it pretty good. Uh, the way you can do it, you do it the way you think you're going to do it. You're going to trace it out and just cut it by hand. The only downfall cutting it by hand is you're going to be smoothing and sanding with sandpaper or, or a file, depending on what angle you're doing, but that's it. Yeah. It's work. <laughs> just like anything with hand tools. It's going to be a lot more work, but, uh, it's pays a dividend. Pick guards are one of the, depends on your pick guard. I like to point out if you have a pick guard that is very common, like a strap pick guard or something. I don't know if I'd go through the trouble. You can pick one up for $5 some places. But if you, yes, if you have a unique pick card or you're doing something unique, just do it by hand. But like I said, the only thing that sucks about doing it by hand is you're going to, you're going to need sandpaper or something to, to smooth it out. Cause it's a mess. It's a, it, it, the way it's like I said, it's soft material, but it leaves a big mess. It's what I hate about pick cards. They're messy. Especially when you use, think of this, when you use your router bit and stuff, oh, it's a disaster. I hate it. It's like, I, I, I tell people this all the time. It's my biggest complaint is you spend more time cleaning up that stuff than you do making the actual pick card, which is the part I hate. 
it's uh, it's uh, everybody's differently minded when it comes to how they do work. And my thing is anything that means anything that requires me cleaning up twice as long as I do to do it, it really kind of which is why I don't like painting. <laughs> I feel like all the time is in prep and cleanup and not actual doing. And I like actual doing. That's what I like about the working on a guitar. I feel like I'm working on a guitar and not cleaning up the mess of that afterwards. Uh, Rick says, hey, Phil. What do you think of Sawtooth Telly with the two singles and the two doubles? Uh, as always, thank you for your service. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, I have not played a Sawtooth other than uh, there's a local music store that had a couple used ones and I picked them up. I interviewed Michelangelo Badio, and he, you know, he, I, I, I hear you guys is what your guys' comments are. You seem to be, they seem to be in the vein of a lot of these guitars, like Firefly and uh, and uh, Donner and uh the uh the art guitars and stuff where it's like it seems like value for dollar they're really good like you're getting a lot for the money some people seem excited about them but i haven't physically like played them or put any time on them they're not a company to reach out none of you guys are really you know again to get that stuff on the channel one of two things has to happen either a company has to send it out so we can just make a video of it or you guys got to keep bringing it up to the point where i'm like oh okay that makes sense we want to do that or like i said the patrons bring it up which is you know, something either way, it's the same thing. It's the viewership saying, let's, let's get it on the channel. Uh, Oh, uh, I'm, I'm having trouble with the name. Lum, Lumahanga. Lumahamahay. says, Phil, difference between cheap and expensive pickups. Uh, not a lot. That's what's great about them. Uh, for manufacturing purposes. Think about this. That's why, uh, you got to understand, that's why a lot of manufacturers uh, don't want to use aftermarket pickups because, you know, even Seymour Duncan at wholesale, I mean, it's massive. Think about think about how crazy the price is on, on pickups. Um, I think, I told you guys, like I sell mine, uh, I sell the Blackstock pickups, I think they're about $230 a set. Uh, Material-wise, I'd have to look I'm going to round up. I'm going to do a lot of rounding up. I'm going to say it's 60-something dollars in materials, right? It's it's not a lot. Materials are not a big part of the cost of a pickup. So that's not what you're paying for. So that's why, obviously, now to point out, this is what's really crazy about the world and, you know, the global market and everything is uh, is that I can't buy the materials at the level I'm buying them, which is still a pretty good amount. I mean, better than a lot of the smaller shops that are, uh, I've, I've, you know, obviously I review and I talk to small shops that make pickups too. A lot of them aren't even doing the volume I'm doing and I don't do a whole lot of volume. Um, so I'm at least buying a, bit, a little bit bigger bulk than they are. You can buy pickups like from like Guitar Fetish and all kinds of companies. Those pickups are sometimes at the same price or slightly less than the material cost of just materials to make the pickup, <laughs> right? Um, so, I mean, it's just like everybody else says, you know what I mean? It's, it's uh, Paul Reed Smith once did an interview where he was saying he can't buy the parts for his American guitar as cheap as he can buy a guitar <laughs> made overseas. And there's nothing wrong with being upfront about that. Like I said, I, I, I think, you remember, you got to understand, like a lot of what you're buying is emotional. I, I want to be very clear with that. Um, I, I I think that's true with a lot of things. Sometimes you go to the nicer steakhouse. It's a little better. I don't know if it's double the price better, but it's a little better. Maybe the atmosphere is better. So, um, so like I said, you can get uh, really good pickups for $25, brand new. You can get great pickups. I've, play, I've, I've demoed so many guitars. That Kramer that was sent out to me, that little cheap Kramer, I thought the pickups in the guitar were fantastic. I would say those are some of the best pickups 
Um, I was even just telling somebody recently with all the stuff going on in the world right now and the prices on nickel and cobalt and stuff, my thought process was that's probably one of the first guitars, that price point where they'll next year you'll see that model and it'll come with like ceramic magnets instead of Alnico 5s because, again, they can save a little money going that route. But, but no, cheap pickups are good. That's, that's the problem with all of this stuff is the terminology – uh, which is why I try to stay away from it as much as I can, even though we're all emotional and we say stupid things, which is, uh, it's amazing. It's the greatest thing ever. How can I live without it? I don't want to talk like that. Uh, this is good, and this is this is better, <laughs> right? Uh, a $30 pickup is good. A $200 pickup is better, but not, like, great. You know what I mean? They're both, it's like good, it's not crap to good, it's good to great, which is not a big jump. You have to pay a lot nowadays. As we've gotten cheaper, in other words, even with the inflation and stuff, as we've gotten good guitars, good pickups, good pedals, good amps to be good at a low price, now the price you pay to get to great or 10% better is a bigger, it's a bigger jump. And same with pickups. Uh, absolutely. Um, I reviewed a set of pickups. The video didn't do that great. It was kind of funny. I mean, it did, but I mean, it didn't like, you know, I thought it would go crazy because it had a good title on it, which was like PAF pickups for, I think it was $30 a set. Somebody refined, it's in the video. I have it titled. Um, and they were very inexpensive pickups and I thought they were very good for the price. I would highly recommend them. Uh, I would tell you guys to get them as before you to get a set up from me. I, but I, I, I've said this before. You buy a set of pickups from a small builder because they put a little bit more attention to the detail. They, there's a couple things you can do with the pickup. You got to understand there's one thing about pickups is, uh, you know, one of the ways that they get them down to 30 bucks is they change a few components. You know what I mean? There's a few things you can change that are a little cheaper, a little, like a little meaning it's not as good, but not crap. It's just not as good. It maybe sings a little better. Um, I have found nothing in my experiences with pickups that has taught me uh, through a being them constantly that, wow, this expensive pickup is the best and nothing comes close. There's just, sometimes there's just, somebody gets a, it's really, they get the formula, right? Every once in a while, people get the formula really, really white, right? Um, Sleeping out, he says, Chinesium uh, wire. In other words, he's talking about wire made in China or comes from China, I should say, because it's probably still coming from Chile. Most of the copper is going to come from Chile and places like that. Uh, corrodes and fails. I can tell you this. Uh, uh, and again, uh, this is all anecdotal. I, I, it's not a proof of anything other than my experiences. Uh, if I was to say I've worked on $10,000 uh, 10, guitars in my lifetime, I think that's a fair es estimate. I could be <laughs> just saying that's what it feels like. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. I bet you i got to tell you exactly. I should probably pull up my old repair sheets and see. My point is I've repaired a lot of guitars, as much as anybody else who did it seven days a week for years, 15, 16 years. Um, broken pickups, defective pickups, 20, maybe. I mean, there's not a lot to go wrong with a pickup. <laughs> now, here's, there's things that, the, so here's what, here's what, what about a pickup that you may not understand. There's a little bit of cost in how the magnet's done. So for instance, uh, whether it's a sand cast magnet, right? So it's not as smooth and all those little cuts, you know, when they cast it, all those little chips and marks in it, that actually changes the magnetic field, but sometimes that makes it better. That's the thing about pickups, that's weird. Some of the things that you're like, oh, that's cheap, but that cheap thing does a cool thing, right? Um, 
So the the core of this question, which is what I want to st- focus on with Amel Mahay, I'm sorry, I can't say your name, uh, says the difference between a cheap pickup, because that's what they want to know. What is the major difference? What are you buying? What are you getting by buying an expensive pickup? You're getting consistency because that's the one thing you can't get with inexpensive pickups. And I mean, even with Seymour Duncan's, and I'm not trying to pick on Seymour Duncan's, but a JB... A Seymour Duncan JB, notice they don't even really tell you. Uh, well, they do on the website now. They'll tell you the the range and stuff of it. But you got to understand there's variations in every pickup. No matter how good the machines are, how many wines are on there, how loose or tight the wine was put on there, uh, you know, uh, each batch of wire is going to be slightly different. And those variations are not a huge deal, right? But here's where it gets a little tricky. The thing that you care about, this doesn't apply to. If you got a guitar with a JB in it, whether your JB is slightly different than somebody else's JB is nothing. It's going to sound the same. But if you have six guitars with the exact same pickup in it and you're having a little trouble with them being consistent, that's where more expensive pickups will help you because they'll be very consistent with each other. Spending that time consistent, you know, making the pickups as good as each one is a little trickier. They can, like I said, I've seen where I've said just now earlier, stick with my statement that I haven't seen a whole lot of bad pickups over the years. I have seen a lot of pickups in cheap guitars and cheap pickups where I don't even know if that was the right pickup because <laughs> you'd go, oh, that's 17K and the same pickup is 13K. And you're like, oh, that's a lot of variance. So something happened. So, something, there's, there's something going on that's not consistent. So that's one of the things. But cheap pickups are so good now. I mean, they're just so good. I tell you guys all the time when you everybody says somebody saw I saw a comment earlier today. Somebody's like, you should start a, you should start making guitars. All this stuff. Look, I I I'm very upfront of this. I don't think you can beat the cheap stuff, and I don't want to. There's enough people trying. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to differentiate your quality of your product, your pickups, your guitar, your amp over the affordable stuff because the affordable stuff's so good. And when you're starting with good, you got to be great because otherwise you're the same thing for a lot more money. So, David wants to know what about Berate Bobbins 43 versus 42 wiring? Well, 43 and 42. Okay, so the, the three common ones you're going to see 44 gauge, 43 gauge, 42 gauge. But when I say common, like 42 gauge wire is going to be on like 90% of the pickups in the world. Not made, but the types of pickups. 43, I've seen it very rarely in anything other than the Tele neck pickup. And again, uh, it's because, as you guys know, the higher the number, the the smaller in dynamic, diameter the wire is. It's, it's obviously smaller. So the reason why they use a smaller wire on a ne- on a Tele neck pickup is because they got to get a, you want to get a cer- certain amount of wines on there, and it's obviously a very narrow pickup. So with smaller wire, you can get more wines. So you can get more the same amount of wire ish on there. Um, 44 is even smaller, right? Now, of course, keep in mind, the more wire you get on there, <laughs> the more capacitance you're going to get. And it's, and, and it's going to get, uh, you're going to change the tone of this thing, you know, right? This pickup. Um, so all of that stuff matters. Like I said, I, 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 I thought about doing a video about it. I probably will one day. Um, I have all these magnets and I show it to anybody because stops in my little shop, you know, like when a friend comes over or something. I have all these magnets, uh, these these uh, brick magnets that are f- really hilarious that I pull from pickups over the years. And it's dramatically different because what people think is they all are the same, but some are shorter, some are wider, some are thicker. They're different. And when you check them, they they are different. 
and yet they all are under, and under the hood, so to speak. So under the hood, their magnets are very different. And but when you look at the pickup, the pickup feels and looks the same. So it's a weird subject. Oh, somebody said uh, Amanda's saying she did not hear our last. Call. Somebody's asking about last call for super chats. I did not do a last call super chats, but we can do that if you want to do that now. We'll still go, you know, to the end of the hour and stuff. But let's do this. Uh, Tim's the last super chat, so I'll. If you do one after that, you're going to get it next week. I'll, I'll pull it up next week. Um, in Theory Apps says, just took the Roberto Venn pickup winding class. Oh, yeah, it's a great class. And fell in love with winding. Any tips or resources you can share to get started? Um, I would say, yeah, what's great is it's just like guitar building. You get kits. Get kits. Uh, you can get kits to build one. I like the Stu Mac kits, but you could probably find the same kits cheaper. I mean, obviously, I don't think Stu Mac's making them. Sometimes Stu Mac just repackages things and then they mark them up because it's Stu Mac pricing that they want to keep it premium pricing. Um, but I buy them from them when I wanted to experiment with stuff. You know, you can get a P90s kit, you can get a Tele kit, you can get a Humbucker kit. Uh, so you just get different kits. And uh, and I'm assuming if you took the, cause I'm sure Joe was there. Uh, Joe is amazing, uh, at Roberto Venn. But if you, uh, took the class, they probably had you do a single coil. Cause that's pretty much where you're going to start. It's pretty easy, easy pickup, as you know, right? Just one wire, wrap it, <laughs> probably tie it off, <laughs> solder it up and you have a pickup. Um, so after that, I would do the P90 next. That's where I would do next, uh, is for your next pickup and then after the p90 i would do a telly neck and then a telly bridge telly bridge then telly neck i don't care which one just pick one uh those kits and then do humbuckers do humbuckers last it's not i I hate this because every time i say i tell my it's not hard it is different than doing the single coils it's a it's a little bit more delicate when you're putting it together uh but once you do it a couple times, it doesn't feel any different. But the first time you do it, it feels, like I said, if you can do that last, you'll you'll feel. Um, and uh, other than that, make sure you get a good winder. You know what I mean? If you don't have one, if you haven't bought one. Obviously, there's a lot of good ones. I like the one that Mojo Tone makes, and you can get it from Stumac or Mojo Tone. But, the, I mean, there's a ton of great ones. Yeah, Matt Field says, I believe the Stumac kits are for Mojotone. So if Mojotone has them cheaper, get them from Mojotone. That would make sense because Stumac has a deal with Mojotone to, to sell their stuff. So that would make sense because the amp kits definitely come from Mojotone from Stumac. They're one and the same. They're spec differently. I don't know if they spec their pickups magnets differently. But I I like, like I said, I made pickups out of necessity of like, oh, crap. You know, customers like, can you rewind this pickup? And I would fix it. And then over time you do it. And uh, it's funny. I don't even know if I said this. Like I start, the reason I'm only making some now is I really am not interested in making pickups as, as like I've told you guys, I'm not interested in making guitars or making pickups. Um, and, and the pickup thing that I'm doing now is really just because that's the, that's what happens when you do something without thinking about it. Uh, I made, I made some pickups and I put them in. I actually, uh, very clear. Oh, you guys, I'm telling nobody nothing right now, which is stupid because you guys probably are all, uh, loyal enough watchers of the channel that know all this stuff. When I did a lot of the videos like the, uh, great guitar build off and stuff, where I did a lot of these kind of, some of the sharp max videos stuff. Um, I just couldn't find any sponsors. Like nobody wanted to send any product out and, you know, and that stuff adds up real fast when you, you know, deck out a guitar and then you're donating it charity or giving it away or giving it back to a viewer. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not the end of the world, but you know, it adds up, you know, all of a sudden you're like, you know, you're spending five, six, $700 a month 
on giving stuff away. It adds up. So I just said, screw it, I'll make my own pickups. Uh, in fact, that's exactly what happened on the Great Guitar Build-Off. I just, I couldn't say, I couldn't find a single company that would sponsor that build-off for me for pickups. And I, at that point, it already paid for a lot of, I mean, Crimson paid for the kit, which is great. And I got Paint Huffer to do paint, which is awesome. But I mean, like, um, uh, I don't know if I ever said this in the video, but uh, in the uh, not in the video, I've never said this before. The person who has that guitar, that the guitar I made, the the Atlantis, it has stainless steel frets. Uh, the problem is, is that when I agreed to do the Crimson guitar video, see, not, like some of this stuff just doesn't get out there because, and you'll hear, you'll know why in a second. When I did that guitar. Uh, Crimson Guitars originally talked to me like in April. It, in, in, in April's next month. In Arizona, April's like 90 degrees, maybe 100, you know, in the peak of the day. And and then, you know, at night, it's 70. Um, th- I, they said, hey, you want to do it? And I said, yeah. It didn't happen until, what, was it July or August? Here's the problem. when you And I, I, I mean, no, you know, I'm not trying to, like, pity me. Just I want you guys to know what happened. When I made that video, if you watch that video now, um, I'm in my my garage. This is predates my shop. This is when I didn't have the shop built out. Now I have a shop with air conditioning built out. But I was doing the garage. It was 117 in the garage. Uh, I, I'm not even exaggerating. That I have a thermostat in the garage. It was 117 when I was making those guitars or making that guitar. And what happened was I was sweating everywhere. And this is before I was smart enough to figure out that I should probably just film everything and I'll just talk over the footage. I don't know why that didn't occur to me. So I'm talking in those videos. You hear me. So, of course, to talk, I couldn't run any fans. Uh, I had a, a, a evaporative cooler, which is like a, we call it a swamp cooler, a evaporative cooler. I didn't have any of that stuff. So I'm just sweating to death and dying. <laughs> Not dying, but, you know, I'm sweating to death and making the guitar. Long story short, through uh, happenstance of events, when I refretted the kit guitar for Crimson, I did it with stainless steel frets. That footage, it didn't get, it didn't film. The whatever I was doing, uh, the camera, I don't know if I had sweaty hands and I pushed the button on the camera, it didn't go, and uh, whatever I was doing, I was mostly trying to make sure I didn't sweat on the guitar and also keeping sweat out of my eyes. And uh, so the reason I tell you that is in the video, if you look there, it's there's no mention of what I did to the frets. It just says that I polished the ends. And I, I put the pickups and stuff on the guitar. But I did the it's it's refretted stainless steel frets. I just didn't have any footage, to, so I just left it out of the video. Uh so obviously the person who bought it got stainless steel frets and didn't know it. Uh the reason I'm telling you that is that's I made those pickups for that guitar, and then so many of you guys saw that video, you were like, hey, make me a set of pickups, make me a set of pickups. And uh, if it wasn't for COVID, I would have never done it. But when COVID happened, I told you guys, I was convinced when, when they were like, hey, two weeks, stay home, flatten the curve. <laughs> Bastards. They, uh, uh, you know, I, like anybody, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do anymore. I was like, uh, I told you guys I have a little diversified portfolio of business, you know, right? So I can, but I make a living. <laughs> that's it so i mean it's good but what i'm saying is like a lot of you i was freaked out so i was thinking like i have people willing to buy pickups i'm trapped in my house i'll start making pickups i start making pickups and uh that's why i started doing it i don't know why i'm <laughs> on that tangent uh but that's why so in your question about roberto Venn doing pickups that's i i think you should do it in that way it's it's like i said i love doing it it's great it's fun 
Bradley says, thanks for being awesome. <laughs> That's really too kind, but I appreciate that. Voodoo Fist says, hey, Phil. You know what's funny, Voodoo Fist? I, I've answered a ton of your comments and questions over the years, and I always say Voodoo Fist. And every time I say Voodoo Fist, I think of Voodoo Labs, the company. But I just want to tell you that because I always think Voodoo Fist. I'm like, it's just, I always think it's a company. I'm like, it sounds like Voodoo Fist. It's like Voodoo Labs, but cooler. Says, hey, Phil. Any cool new KYG reviews or videos coming in April that you're excited about? Absolutely. I, I am. I, I told you guys there was two cool reviews this week with guitars. The Yamaha guitar uh, ended up getting taking longer than it was should have because I went back and had to verify some of the stuff because, like I said, I was trying to trying to get execute some information to you guys, and some re-edits on the video happened. So it pushed back the other guitar, which will be this week coming up. Uh, so absolutely. Um, well, first of all, there's a guitar behind me right there. That's getting that you'll see, uh, there's a PRS and then there's a non PRS. I have a lot of guitar reviews, um, coming. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Matt Phil says, excellent video on the Revstar. Chris Buck made them cool again. Cause Chris Buck's awesome. That guy can play. <laughs> my favorite players on the internet like I'm I always when I started watching YouTube videos Pete Thorne was like I everything Pete Thorne played I thought was great and then it was like Pete Thorne and Phil X those two guys every time I saw them play I go that's it but now I gotta say my favorite guitar players and this is my favorite guitar players uh, is Pete Thorne still and Phil X are there because they're just grandfathered in is awesome and uh, and uh, then it's, it's Jay Leonard J RJ Rinkilio and Chris Buck like and, and and like I said, I hate saying this stuff because of course there's Tim Pierce. There's just ton, tons of great players on YouTube. Don't get me wrong, right? There's players I love. I can mention Steve from Boston and Rob Baker, and a lot of them are friends. So of course I'm going to say that because they're good friends and they're talented. But I mean, but I'm talking about like just like when I hear them play, I go, man, that's some that's something different. That's great. Um, so those are my favorite. I think those five I just mentioned are my faves. Uh, Johnny, what's up, Johnny? Johnny says, my first down payment on the Gibson SG. Oh, whoa, nice, nice. So you're getting, you're getting a Gibson SG? <laughs> uh, didn't you just get a guitar? Am I reading this wrong? Um, uh, Jay, I say Jay. <laughs> Jay says, hey, Phil, did you get my email about Brian May guitar? I probably didn't, but it says, bought a slashless Paul, new gold top. Uh, there is glue covered by the finish around the neck and body. Is that normal? Well, when it comes to Gibson, it, anything crappy is normal. Uh, and I say that it's just because it's true, man. It's just true. So n nothing you guys can say to me on Gibson has shocked me yet with whatever you're saying. It's, uh, it's like I said, you either have to accept that or, or not. Um, you know what I mean? It's like... <sighs> It's getting harder and harder to find a Gibson without an issue. And I know they've revamped and made things better, but I think they are better. But better doesn't still mean perfect. So, um, but, but uh, your email about Brian May, I don't... So the way I get emails, and I've said this before, when your email comes in, it immediately just goes into a folder categorized by what the subject title is. And then I, every day, you know, if I have free time, which I always have some free time, I go through the emails... Like I said, it's not even prioritized by like this is a company over a view or anything like that. It's none of that stuff. Um, cause I know, cause I, there's more companies complaining about me. 
<laughs> Think of this. I had a company this week. Uh, very, uh, very nice of them. A company sent me a, a, a DM, which I don't check my Instagram, so that didn't help them. Uh, they sent it through Facebook. That didn't help them because I don't check that. They sent it to me personally. I didn't see that. They sent it through the the actual official the the company website, which could, they, that goes to my wife. And then my wife's like, "Oh, this company's trying to get a hold of you." I'm like, "Oh," and she goes, "They, she, they said that they sent it to you everywhere." And I was like, "Oh," and then they just became a patron member and sent me a message. And I was like, "Look, I'm really sorry, but I'm like." You know, depending on my week, I'm just one person. You know what I mean? I try to get to everything as, as much as I can. Uh, and trust me, I, 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 uh, the joke in my house is I start every day with an apology. Because I got to tell somebody how sorry I am for not doing the thing or getting back to them. I'm sorry. I try as hard as I... I'm going to try. I'm not going to say as hard as I can. Because sometimes I'm just... I can tell you right now, sometimes... Uh, and then I'll get off this because it's more non-guitar talk. Sometimes I just... I'm just done with the internet, <laughs> which means my phone, everything. And then it all shuts off. I do it all the time. I just shut off and I don't want to hear any of this stuff because I'm reading comments and emails all day and dealing with the internet all day. Sometimes you just need a break from it. I suggest that to anybody. If you ever, you ever feel overwhelmed by it or it's getting to you, just turn it off for a little while. You'll come back fresh. Chili Dogs with Cheese says, order a boutique guitar with vintage style graph tech ratio tuners on your recommendation. Never played them. You still, 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 I think it means still like them. Thoughts on guitar, guitar hands stretches. Um, okay, so yeah, I still like ratio tuners. Look, I, ratios are, if not my favorite, one of my favorites. The, they're just way more expensive than I always mention them as Godos. I like the Godos. I like hip shot. I like ratio. I like ratio a lot, <laughs> but they are the most expensive. And, uh, you know, just like you guys, I'm buying this stuff. So. <laughs> Like I said, if ratio would send me, I've, I've, I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to get free tuners, okay? But I'm just telling you so you honestly can understand this. I'm sure you guys would probably say thing, but what I'm saying is, if ratio sent me tuners for all my guitars, and I mean this because I have a lot of good tuners, you know, I have hip shots and other things I'm going to. If I ratio sent tuners for all my guitars, I just put ratios on every single guitar because I like them. Um, but uh, currently, I have probably six or seven, maybe seven, eight guitars with ratios on there that I put on there. So I slowly just do it over time. But I like, like I said, and the only pick, the only keys I, I don't really swap out from is the hip shots and the Godos. And that doesn't mean I just like any other ones. I just, those are my faves. Uh, mean Mr. Oh, there was a second part of this. Uh, he says, never played him. So that's on hand stretches on hand stretches. Um, I have a guitar teacher who, uh, Matt, who's been on the channel and he's even talked about hand stretches and the proper way to do it. And I don't do any hand stretches. I just play scales. I play, I just warm up with my hands playing. Um, but there are hand stretches you can do. I just don't, I don't do them. So I don't recommend them. I try to recommend and talk about stuff on the channel that I actually do. So that way, if like later somebody goes, that didn't work for me. And I'm like, well, at least you knew I was doing it. <laughs> Instead of like, here's my theory of what was good for you. Um, my my wife used to have a friend. I guess she still does. Uh, she just doesn't see her that much anymore. But she used to always say, for you. And uh, I one day I pointed it out to my wife. And I think my wife was not upset, but she was just like, she never noticed it before. Like, so her friend would always say like, those are nice you know, like she would come in our house and she'd go, oh, I like your drapes. Those are good for you. <laughs> and, you know, like she, my wife would get a car and she'd be like, that's a nice car. That's good for you. You know what I mean? Uh, or, oh, that, that, you know, or this dress, this dress would be look good on you. 
it was always like, I don't know if you're saying you like it or if you're saying it's good enough for like, it was weird backhanded complimenting kind of thing. So the reason I say that is that's kind of what I think of. I always think of her when I think about when I'm giving advice to anybody on the channel, like, I don't want to give you advice like for you do this. Although I do it sometimes I try not to, I try to say, this is what I would do. Cause at least if I'm wrong, um, you know, I'm, I'm walking the walk and talking the talk. Mean Mr. Mustard says, Hey, excuse me, trying to swallow that water. I just swallowed. He's mean. Mr. Mustard wants to say, hey, Phil, did you enjoy that uh, Chicago Music Exchange SG you got a while ago? I ordered mine from Anderton's last April. Still not here. Woo. Is it worth the wait? Um, I have it. I love it. It's in its case right now because <laughs> it is exactly like the other one I have. It's just green. And I don't know if I want to sell the other one. I, right now, it's really simple. I thought I was going to get it. I don't know what I was thinking. I was either going to get rid of the original one or they're going to be a little different. They are exactly like I can't. They're they they have different pickups, but they sound almost in place the same. Um, I really like it, but I'm not playing it, and it's not for any reason that I just have the other SG. Um, but I I love it. Is it worth the wait? Yeah, it's a nice guitar. I love the green on it. It's cool as hell. I should use it in a video. Then I could get some time on it because that's what, how I feel lately. If it's not in a video, I'm not getting a whole lot of time with it. Uh, Sean Brooks says, hey, Phil, uh, I sold a used 2014 Strat on eBay and the buyer received it today. He requested a $50 refund because of poor setup. That's BS, right? You know, uh, uh, here's 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 a great subject. And and uh, we're going to go on this for a few minutes. And Sean, this will help with with selling now and things. The, the, by definition, <laughs> the average guitar player is a middle-aged person. Okay. That's the majority of the guitar players middle-aged. I say that because a lot of you watching are all different ages. I can see the analytics, but the majority you're sitting in the middle spot. That being said, that means you guys will have reference of what I'm about to say. <laughs> okay. Um, the whole disclaimer world that we live in, you know, a lot of us are old enough to remember when you didn't have a disclaimer, like you buy a bottle of Windex and it didn't tell you not to squirt it in your mouth. Um, and you know, as much as you don't like it at some point, you're just going to have to adopt a disclaimer world. Okay. And <laughs> Joe Harvey says old. And then he said a word that I'm not going to say right now, but it was funny. Thank you, Joe. In fact, I'm going to show it, even though I like how you space the letters too. So it's only semi-offensive. <laughs> so, uh, so here's, here's what I'm saying, uh, Sean is, uh, there's disclaimers that are great on the, um, on that you can use. And one of the ones that I think is great. And I, so you guys can like write this down and make up your own version of it is on your reverb listings. You want to, I would definitely suggest this, put a disclaimer that says, um, everyone's playing style is different and everyone is going to like their action setup and string gauge di a different way. The guitar that is being sent to you is set up to my liking, although it may not like be like you. It might not be your liking, so be prepared to pay for a setup. Should you, as a average Joe Jane, have to do that when you're not a store? No, but are you going to have to deal with somebody going, "Hey, man, I want fifty dollars to get my setup done." You know, that's why I said just get used to putting the, discla the disclaimers on there. Um, for that reason. Uh, is it BS that he asked for that? Well, yes and no. What I mean by yes and no is 
I think, yeah. <laughs> Somebody going to say no. Uh, you look, I, I don't think that's a word. That's not a, that To me, you ask for, you reach out to the seller and you ask for some kind of compensation when something the seller did wrong. I don't consider a poor setup something the seller did wrong. Okay. Uh, a guitar is, uh, look, you're buying a used guitar. It needs a setup. There's nothing wrong, by the way, Sean, with you responding to his comment. Look, he sent a, or he sent you a message, and he's like, hey, I'd like $50 off. I'm reading your thing. He goes, I want $50 refund because of poor setup. Uh, and you can respond with, hey, man, I understand. Always always try to work with people. Don't fight them. It'll never, you'll never get anything out of it. Okay? Uh, just start with something really nice. Like, like I said, start with, a, hey, I understand, you know, but uh, unfortunately, I'm not a store. I'm a person. You know, it's like I said, say it in a very polite manner. Say the truth. I'm not a store. I'm somebody selling my guitar. The guitar is set up to my liking. I'm sorry it's not to your liking. I, I, you know, setup's not included as part of the price. <laughs> and that's something, and that's another reason why, if you notice on my reverb auctions, I always say, please ask any questions or make any requests before purchasing. And, and I, that's, I, I highly recommend that because immediately as soon as somebody buys your thing, the first thing they do is they go, oh, uh, I didn't want you to send it to like Nova Scotia and then to my cousin, Mike. And then I want him to you're like, I'm like, no, man, you have to ask that before we agree to the sale. Also like stuff like this, you get it. So I would say, Sean, for future pur purposes, definitely put more disclaimers in there. That's a good one in there. Try to think, you know, like I said, this is a learning experience for all of us. Thank you for sharing it. The second thing is, um, he's, uh, Sean's following up. He says it was very, I was very polite and told him, no, good for you. Uh, he filed a full refund instead. Um, you know, and here's Sean, uh, if you could do me a favor, cause stuff like this is really important. Cause, uh, so many of us are selling on reverb right now. Um, if you could make sure you follow up next week, I don't want you to have to super chat me to get it to me. So if you could just send it to me via email, you know, before next show, uh, I'll make sure to talk about it and we'll come back around to this, but I'm really curious to see if reverb will actually eat it and take care of you because this is really asking more then you know what I mean? What you're, but that's the reality of things. They get these guitars and then they send them right back. It sucks. But yeah, I find it crap that he's doing this to you. And, uh, I don't think that's, like I said, I don't think that's a fair request. And if you're, Hey, hey if that guy just, Hey, if you're a guy this week and you're watching the show and you just bought a guitar from Sean and you think the setup sucks, you're a douchebag. <laughs> Cause that's not fair, man. Like I said, I understand why, like I told you, you have to put disclaimers now to stop people from doing that because that's what people do. But doing that is not right. There's, it's all within reason, right? And that's not within reason. It's not reasonable to ask someone who's not a store to give you store-level service, in my opinion. Yeah, Matt Phil says, as is means as is. Well, it's expectation. How about that? It's not even, as you guys keep saying, eBay extortion, extortion stuff. Oh, that's right. Did he say he sold it on eBay? You did sell it on eBay. Yeah, you're screwed. I don't think eBay is going to take care of you. But let me know if they do. So he's, Sean says, then he filed a dispute with eBay. Uh, I'm waiting for the results. I'm like, curious. I'm see if they take care of you. My experience is uh, Reverb takes better care of people, the people than eBay. But Matt says, why are uh, most consumers so difficult? Well, the reality, though, is that, you, you know, the retailers online, especially, and just retailers as whole, 
are the Amazon mentality of like, they just, you know, you don't like something, you just send it back and it's, they take care of you and they refund you. And it's just, and so people get, just expect everybody to have that level of service. I told you, like I said, I've said this for years. I used to never have a problem as a store matching guitar centers pricing and doing stuff. It was the levels of service those people can eat that is tough on the mom and pop because you can't eat all these costs the same way they can. And as a personal seller, you definitely can't do it. You can't, you can't do this stuff. It sucks. Richard says, don't sell on eBay. Uh, I agree. I don't prefer selling on eBay. I don't like selling on Reverb, but I, I find like, you know, it's a safer bet than Reverb. So, uh, like I said, it sucks. I'm really interested to see what they do. But like I said, I would definitely, con- uh, everybody else listening, I would definitely, like I said, take my, uh, my advice on the, try to template out a list of, disclaimers and make sure that they're in all of your auctions and listings. It will help you in the long run um, set that expectation that you're not going to take that if that's what they're up to. Yeah, a lot of you guys are saying the same thing. Setup is subjective. I absolutely agree. Uh, So, you know, yeah, to me, I'll I'll tell you, uh, my my personal, uh, like my personal thing when it comes to returning something always is based on how much of a hit I have to take. So what I mean by that is this, exactly this. And I, and again, I'm not giving this advice because this is just what I do. So I'm telling you what I do. You can choose to follow in that kind of mindset or do a different mindset. I tend to look at everything like, okay, this is what I paid. After getting it, I believe it's worth sufficiently a lot less, significantly a lot less. It's always about how much of a hit am I willing to take if I ever try to sell this or if I'm going to move on and sell it right now, right? In other words, like if they described it one way, I get it, and it's so far off that I'm like, man, they sold to me for 1000 If I sold it right now, I get 600 bucks. That's just too much. You know, if I'm almost going to lose half right away, that's when I respond to them. But to me, I can tell you right now, I've done it 1,000 times. Not exa- I'm exaggerating, not 1,000. I've done it dozens of times where I bought something, I got it. They let's say they charge me five hundred bucks, and I thought, oh, you know, at best this thing's worth four fifty. Then I just eat it and go on my way. That's the lumps I take. So that's the way I do things that way. Um, so, so to me, if I got a guitar and I'm like, oh, I have to pay for a setup, that's just not enough, right? Think about it this way, Sean. Uh, when you're a uh, a renter and you rent a, a house or something like, not an apartment, but a house. Uh, usually most landlords have it set up to where like, you know, if, if your if your toilet, if the $20 toilet thing goes, I don't know what you call it. The thing in your toilet that has to replace all the time, that thing goes out for 20 bucks. You, you pay for that, right? Like up to a hundred dollars, the tenant takes the cost, right? Cause it's nuisance cost. In other words, just things you're going to have to deal with. Same thing with this. I think there should be a, a reasonable expectation that says, if you buy a guitar, think about this. How stupid would it be if somebody go, I bought this guitar and the strings are old, so I want a refund, <laughs> right? It's, it's like said. So it's about having a reasonable expectation. His expectation does not seem reasonable to me. And based on the comments, it doesn't seem like a lot of you, uh, it seems like a lot of you agree that, that he's asking for too much. Or it was just, he's just, you know, he decided he don't want it. And he's kind of come up with a reason. Sasha says, uh, bless me, Phil. Bless you, Sasha. <laughs> Uh, for I have sinned. <laughs> he says, I purchased a modeler and I have not played my tube amp for a week. Here's a beer offering for the forgiveness. Happy Friday. That's interesting. Uh, it's interesting uh, that you say it that way. I mean, I get where you're going with it. I, it's a little, fu- it's the f- humorous too, but it's funny. I find that to be a really 
not not only a, a funny thing, but it's consistent with people basically saying that same thing. Like they have a modeler and they don't play their real amp, the real amp. That's right. Or like, oh, I play my my Yamaha THR10, but I don't play my real amp. And there's always this like shame. Like they, you could tell they feel some. I, I say that because I have the same thing. Like I tell you guys, I'll play. Uh, I I say think about this. I've been telling you guys I'll play, but mostly I play my Kemper now. Uh, since I got the cat catalyst, the line six guy sent out the catalyst and I've been trying to get used to it. I just play in that. Uh, not because it's the best sounding amp ever. Uh, not because it's better than the Kemper, obviously in any of that way. I'm just, it's just, like I said, you get to a point where, man, there's something to say. The thing about modeling is it's so damn convenient, easy to plug in, get a sound to work with and start playing. It's fun. And then there's something for that great tone, beautiful tube amp that you love when you plug into it and you get a, you know, get that moment too. So no forgiveness needed, uh, Sasha. Uh, just uh, the fact that you're playing is amazing. We all just should be playing. Uh, Tim says, best way to remove clear coat and the paint from an Epiphone Explorer neck. I am not the person to ask for that. Uh, I know there's chemicals and stuff they can do. I've seen uh, guitar players, like said, Nathan always talks about that. Uh, I would recommend something like that or looking into that because what I can tell you with those poly finishes on like the Epiphones and stuff, it's thick. Just the clear coat on there is thick. You'll be sanding that clear coat for a while before you actually see into the finish, actual color finish come off the neck. Um, it'll just be that clear coat. So if you sand, you'll be sanding a while. So I might, I would say, I suggest to look into that. And I'm sure you can just Google. Uh, even you know, I'm sorry, I don't have the answer for you. But I, again, finish work is just not what I do. I if I sand, I usually, I usually will sand the stuff off of a guitar. And, uh, and all my friends who do paint stuff tell me, like, no, there's easier ways. And I'm like, well, I don't do it very often when I do it. I just, that's the way I do it. So. Okay. Hold on a second. <laughs> I'm sorry. Made me laugh. Amanda said there's a, definitely a thumb shortage. <laughs> Um, okay, I'm looking for stuff you guys are talking about. Hold on a second. Hold. Okay, Nathan uh, says, what do you think about doing a video on how to build a Stumac Ghost Drive? Uh, is that a pedal? I, is it doing pedal kits? I don't know what that is. Um, I haven't put any thought into it, <laughs> obviously. Uh, I've never, I, I've done a pedal kit once, maybe twice before. Uh, you know, I think it's a, a fun experience. It's not really my, it, I I think the problem for me I, is I, for me personally, I wouldn't do it just because I, I don't have any interest to put pedals together and stuff. I mean, if I'm soldering and stuff, I put a guitar together. So it'd be about doing a video and I never thought of it that way or doing it. So thank you for the suggestion. We'll think about it. I'll think about it. Snarky K says, I'm having trouble installing the Catalyst 60 SW. Is that the software? Software. Can we chat via email? Or maybe you can give me some tips. I'm using a Mac, maybe iPhone. Well, Snarky K, let me tell you, I have my Catalyst. I have the 100-watt one is what they sent out. Um, and and uh, I, I'm i sure it plugs in the software, but I'm not going to be doing that. 
I do not uh, do, I don't do apps and I don't do software. I remember it was my resolution this year. I don't want to do it. If I can't, and and again, uh, I mean, I hate to say this, the, the, the catalyst to me is really about, the question of the day for the catalyst is only for me is about two things. One, is it better than the old Line 6? Either they improve the sounds, considering the fact that they make the Helix stuff and the Helix stuff sounds pretty good. And two, is it as good or if not better than the leading katana out there on the market what are you getting and what are you not getting considering it's priced a little bit more than the katana uh or at about the katana um but when it comes to like an in-depth like hey let's go through all the features and stuff i don't i don't do that stuff because it's not something that interests me at all all i care about with the katana was i i, I wanted to, i don't want to give too much away because i don't want to ruin the video for you guys but it's like what can i sounds can i get out of it immediately how fast can i get this going out of the box because to me, that's been always the problem with all of this technology. Um, the Kemper, you you can do all kinds of stuff with it, right? You can plug in a computer and stuff. I've done none of that stuff. I'm not doing this stuff. Like I said, I set up, profiled some stuff, set up the sounds the way I want, and I just go, and then I don't plan to ever touch it again. Because <laughs> again, um, I like I I I actually wish companies would adopt this idea. I wish a lot of them you could just when you buy the product to say, Hey, load in all this stuff that I already want, set it up this way and just do it. Cause again, that's where I, I get disinterested really fast and it wears me out a little bit. Cause I just feel like, you know, it's what I don't enjoy. I don't enjoy working on that stuff in the screens and stuff. And there's, there's a lot of channels that I would highly recommend. There's gotta be an in-depth in uh, channel going through the cat uh, catalyst in that way in the software side of things. But it's not where I have interest. It's to me, it's all about the tone and how fast can I get tones out of it. And to me, if I can't get good tones out of it without doing all that stuff, then I immediately hate it. Uh, Somatic Dust says, "Hey, any uh, differences between the Revstar, the the Made in Japan, and the and the Indonesia one? I don't know because they didn't send out the Made in Japan. I looked at the spec sheet of what was different. Obviously, they had carbon rods in the body, which I thought was really strange." thing to do obviously the price point two thousand dollars so eight hundred dollars and two thousand dollars very very different pricing for sure um but i don't know and uh let's do one more uh steven says hey phil he lives in the phoenix area so it's dry and hot not yet, but soon coming. And a couple of my guitars have fret sprouts. Should I be humidifying them? Well, if you, you run any kind of humidification, you're going to help uh, alleviate the the fret sprout issue. I mean, for sure. Absolutely. But in some cases, it's inevitable when you live in a dry climate. It's just going to happen. Um, you can, if it they've sprouted now, you can try and humidify them. My experience is, as many people say on the internet, that's what you should do. My experience in this state and dry states like this is, it's not going to change a lot. It's going to go from whatever it is to 50% not as bad. And I kind of feel like that's not even close. Um, so you will have to do like some kind of fret and dress on them. And uh, and if you, you do humidify your area for your guitars, it, it like I said, all it takes is one day you forget and it, it can dry out. And it just, it's just, you live in a dry climate, man. It's just really dry. The guitars aren't made to live in the desert because nothing's made to live in the desert which is why I do so many fret sprouts. My issue with fret sprout and why I talk about it so much on the channel and so much in the videos is because 20 years ago, fret sprout was a problem in Arizona. But you would go and talk to people in the industry 
And there was like a couple places, like I said, part of Colorado, part of California, part of uh, Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, like a whole region of, of desert and where it's just dry all the time. And we would talk about this issue. And I remember very, very vividly going to factories and telling about this issue about fret sprout and then looking at us like, I don't, I don't really, it's not really a problem. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, we have to like two out of every five guitars, you know, the neck shrinks and we have to kind of dress the frets and stuff. And over, I want to say every year after year, but it was every few years, all of a sudden more people would talk about it. Now I talk to people all around the world on this channel, all over the United States. And most of you guys know what I'm talking about when we talk about fret sprout and and that's why I'm addressing it this way, going, okay, it's went from, okay, you live in a dry climate, so it's going to happen to they're not drying the wood correctly or enough, and now it's happening everywhere. And so that's why it's a bigger problem. And what I find is the price to do it keeps going up too. Like I said, it's an expense, so you either have to learn to do it or pay more to have somebody do it. Yeah, so uh, Will Funk Tinker, Willful Tinker, sorry, says... Uh, I moved from California to Ohio and several guitars got fret sprout. Put me in tears. Yeah, it's like said. Richard says you can do lemon oil in some cases. Sure, you can try and hydrate the fretboard. Again, like I said, here's what I can tell you. Again, different climates. So I'm not going to talk about like Brazil and extremely wet climates because I don't know anything about them. What I can tell you when you have a neck that shrinks, that is essentially what the wood wants to do. <laughs> Okay, the, the, the wood, as moisture goes out, it, it just wants to shrink. So here's, here's what I can tell you. It's harder to get moisture back in the wood than get it out. Okay? And so the reason I tell you that is I'm not saying that once a neck shrinks and you have fret sprout, you should absolutely do the frets. What I'm telling you is, is I've heard people say this, and it's very rare. It's I, I'm going to say one in a hundred where if you correct the fret sprout and then the neck spans back out, now the frets are somehow shallow to the fretboard. Uh, well, I've never seen it, but I've never been in all the climates you can be in. Uh, but in, in my years of doing it, I've never seen it. It's almost like I said, it's like once the, once the moisture has been pulled from the wood, it's almost impossible to put it back in at any kind of level that it had before. So that's why I, I just say in videos, like once it does it, just go ahead and correct the fret sprout. And then if you want to keep humidification on it, again, we're mostly talking about electric guitars right now. Let's not talk about acoustics. That's another conversation, another thing. That's why I said, usually my recommendation is once your neck shrinks and your fret sprouted out, just go ahead and crown them and round them over, do your fret and dress and you'll be fine. And then if you're weir really worried about it, like, for instance, sometimes you can tell, like, it really shrank really bad. Maybe I would put it, because I've done it for customers, maybe I put uh, a guitar and expose it to some humidity. And and then after 24 to 48 hours, probably 48 hours, then do the fret dress. Because maybe, you know, like I said, I don't want it as, as far in as possible. But, and again, I can't speak for every climate. So you might be in a climate where this doesn't even make sense to you. All right. On that note. I'm going to let you guys go. Till next Friday, know your gear.